How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to TimCast IRL Podcast. If you're not a subscriber, please smash that subscribe button and that like button and that notification bell so uh, you can make sure you stay tuned to the shows. we got a bunch of interesting stories and topics to talk about today. The big story that's just breaking now is that amid the ongoing Derek Chauvin trial, Minneapolis has agreed to settle with the family of George Floyd for a historic $27 million in a wrongful death suit. There's a lot of questions around why they would do this and how this is going to impact the trial of this officer and whether or not he's going to be able to get a fair trial now that the city's basically admitting fault. I think ultimately it results in riots. A couple other stories, though. Scotland, my friends over in Scotland, Count Dankula, man, they got it bad. A new anti-free speech law is coming into effect. There's some news about Cuomo. There's they're apparently trying to cancel Eminem because, you know, Eminem is uh, edgy. And I guess racist and homophobic and transphobic and bigoted and all those really awful things. And these young people are now realizing the kind of music this guy was making. So he made a, a rebuttal song. I don't think the song is that good, but we'll certainly talk about it. And to assist us in navigating the world of woke, we have one of the preeminent scholars engaging in uh, criticizing critical race theory, wokeness. We have James Lindsay. Hey, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You want to introduce yourself? Explain, uh, you know, what you do a little bit. I I wrote about woke. So I mean, you did a great job. You call me a preeminent scholar. Yes. Well, I'm going to do better than that. I like to tell people that I'm one of the best. I'm one of the leading scholars on critical race theory, et cetera, critical theory among people who don't believe it. And so there are probably people who are advocates and adherents who are in the faith who know it more deeply and more more thoroughly than I do. Maybe not, but I don't believe it. I think it's wrong. I think it's actually racism reinvented. And go into as much depth as you want. It's just racism. And so uh, that's what I do. I have a website, New Discourses. It's newdiscourses.com. And I try to put up podcasts, videos, and written material. I'm writing an encyclopedia explaining how the woke talk, how the, they, they misuse words. And uh, that's about it. It's all I do these days. And you're uh, fairly pessimistic, I guess, huh? I'm a little pessimistic right now, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I vary. It's like, so black pill is a thing, right? So mm -hmm. people don't know what a black pill is. You got like all these pills because the freaking Matrix came out and now everything's a pill. And <laughs> yeah, <true>. right? <laughs> Orange pill is the Bitcoin one. Is that? That's Max Kaiser's podcast. Yeah, I didn't even know about that pill. There's too yeah, many right? pills. <laughs> <laughs> I know about the blue pill. The blue pill means you want to stay in the matrix. I know about the red pill, and that means you think that the media is lying and you want out of the matrix. And then there's 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 a clear pill that's like, what? I don't care about any of this. Huh. Like, it's when George Carlin back in the day, you remember George Carlin had that thing where he was like, I don't care who wins. I think it's all crap. Yeah. You know, I have no stake in the outcome any longer. I'm just going to write jokes. And he's like near the end of his life, and he's just kind of his old man ranting. <laughs> that's That's going clear pill. Like, you don't. You have no stake in the outcome anymore. Yeah. You're just watching and you just go clear for yourself. Then there's black pill, which means uh, it's, it's lost. over. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Depressed. That's it. Despair. And then there's white pill where all of a sudden you see hope. And I yeah. guess there's orange pill. of That's Bitcoin. racist, bro. Oh, I didn't white write pills? it. <laughs> Racism. I mean, I'm, a lot of pills are white, but some of them are pink and uh, some of them are blue. Yeah, this is like it's it's the weird world where colors all of a sudden represent race in any context. So no, like, yeah, uh, true. you know, Ian and I and, and a couple other people in the house, we all we all play Magic the Gathering. It's a card game. It's mm -hmm. and they have colors. It's like each card can have a different color. And so because half your swamp. I did right, that right, I right. was like a teenager. All right. So oh, be, yeah. because they use the colors white and black, there are certain cards they've deemed racist for simply using the mechanic of black magic, oh, like yeah. this fantasy idea. That's 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 the depravity of of wokeness. Well, that's and in their literature. That, that's actually in their scholarly literature. Like, that's in the books. 
they're they're literally literally in their scholarly books that they write that that the association with black magic being bad and white magic being good <laughs> is is like <laughs> proof that you. That, but you know what the you know what really comes from uh, night and day. Oh, yeah, sure. Light, yeah, it was, it was, that yeah. was literally what it was. It was. It was light and dark. It was at night. Things were dying. It was dangerous. There were predators. In the winter, it got darker and everything died and it was scary and people got scared. And then when the sun was out, we were warm and we were safe. Yeah. And so we just created this idea of light and dark, good and bad. It had nothing to do with the color of someone's skin. Yeah. Now they've made it that way. Yeah. Yin and yang in Chinese, or as, as, as us gringos would say, yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, yin is the black one, everybody. <laughs> and yang is the, is the white one. And it is it's the creative and the and the receptive if you go into the kind of Taoist cosmology. Super racist though, because Asians are like more racist now. I guess Asians are more white than white people. I guess. Yeah, they they were white adjacent for a while, and they're also a model minority. And now though, they are just white. But then they're super white because they get to claim that they're also a minority, so they get to hide from being white. So they're like extra Whoa. super white. Sneaky. It's like it's like super straight, but super white. But <laughs> but instead white. of being like good, it's bad. It's it's all upside down. It's it's all clown world. Well, we'll we'll get into this stuff too. We got Ian. He's chilling. Oh, hey everybody, Ian Crossland, iancrossland.net. And I just want to point out that black and white are not colors; they are shades. Oh yeah, that is Values. true. Correct. Yeah. Technical for a minute. They are shades mm-hmm. and tints, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's me in the corner pushing buttons correctly this time, and I have no say in this color argument. So I'll turn it back to Tim. Before we get started, go to timcast.com and sign up to become a member to get exclusive access to members-only podcast episodes and segments. And uh, I don't know if y'all are, are into this stuff, but the other day with Kim Iverson. She was talking about destiny cards, and apparently I'm the ace of spades. And I'm, as far as I'm concerned, that's like the best card. Of course. And so naturally, I was like, tell me more, madame. And we did like a 40-something minute segment where she broke down what destiny cards are. It's a kind of astrology. And I'm not, I'm not a big, you know, believer in any of this stuff. But she talked about how she predicted Donald Trump would be defeated, but not feel defeated and didn't understand what it meant until it happened. I was like, now I get it. So it's it's interesting stuff. But of course, we also have Scott Pressler, who was talking about primarying these America last politicians. So if that's more your cup of tea, become a member. And don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to the notification bell. Let's check out this first story. And then we'll just we'll just get into this stuff because this is from CBS News. Minneapolis approves historic $27 million settlement with George Floyd's family. They say the city council voted 13 to zero to approve the settlement, which directs half a million dollars to be used to benefit the George Floyd Memorial Site at 38th and Chicago. Do you know what that means? Uh, I'm going to build the suspense on y'all for a minute. 13 to zero, really? This past weekend. Yeah. The George Floyd Memorial Site, which is an autonomous zone, someone was shot and killed. Yeah. The city has just announced they are going to fund this Antifa autonomous zone to the tune of half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's the degree to which this insanity. I'm sorry, James. You may say that you're a little pessimistic, but boy, am I getting pessimistic on this one. Twenty-seven million dollars in a civil settlement to the family. Look, I'm 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 upset the guy died. I don't like it when anybody dies. Twenty-seven million historic. Why? Because the terror worked. That's the, right. The burning down the cities. It worked. That's right. So what are you going to see? More fire. Yeah. Yeah. They're giving half a million dollars to these people. Yeah. Now the crazy thing too is, Chauvin is still on trial. And so you have these jurors who are supposed to be coming in and being asked if they can remain impartial. And now they're going to be told, you know, in the civil case, they've already won. Clearly, he must be guilty of something the city's agreed to settle. How can this guy get a fair trial? O.J. Simpson lost a civil case. Won after, the, though, wasn't won, it? I think the civil case was after the criminal case, though, in his case. 
It's funny, funny <laughs> phrasing. Um, I don't know the history of civil case, criminal case, the the ad the adjunctives of it. Like, if do you is there precedent for doing a civil case first, finding them? I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea. I do know that you know this was a wrongful death, and that the he's being tried for murder one, right? No, uh, murder two, murder three, two. and manslaughter. Oh, okay, so yeah, who knows then? Because um, the city is sort of admitting admitting fault here. Yep. And uh, I can't see that. You I don't know, see how you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess theoretically, maybe the judge will be like, no, 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 you've got to separate that. And maybe when it comes to the the defense, they'll say a settlement is not an an admission of guilt. The city just simply thought paying out would be right. less expensive Regardless. than the damage. And he might actually say the fact the city thought twenty seven million dollars was cheaper than fighting the suit shows what they really feared was the riots from the extremists who are trying to destroy the city. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's what the the whole gig is an extortion gig. Uh, I get that there's like, oh, there's the passion. People are locked down. I don't want to like deny the, you know, the, what was the, the saying we had to endure? It was a quote from from Martin Luther King, but I felt like it was taken a bit out of context which was uh, that a riot is the the voice of the unheard or something right. like that. And I get it. People were locked down for months. People are like kind of out of their, their minds looking for something to do. There's this flashpoint. Everything goes crazy. But um, it's an extortion gig. The, yeah. the, the whole cause, Because the theory underlying it, if we look at critical race theory, is, is an extortion gig. It works on public relations there, not riots. But it also defends things like looting. There was that book, Defense of Looting, that's all rooted in critical race theory and all I this crazy stuff. That was written about Ferguson. I was in Ferguson, and when that article came out, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. It was it was like reading that was an, a combination of several different uh, what's the right word for this? Like like violations of, of ethics. The first was to see the people desperately defending their their town, their 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 neighborhood from these violent rioters and looters who are exploiting them. To see the manipulation and fake news and the corruption of the media. It was like all at once. And I was like, oh, in Ferguson, the kids who lived there, so some young men linked arms around the convenience store and they were trying to defend the businesses from the looters who came from out of town yeah. to exploit and steal and burn things down because they thought it was funny and they didn't care. And then along comes these ultra woke white progressives from the suburbs who have no idea what it's like to live in poverty, cheering on the criminals who invaded this neighborhood and attacked the poor, marginalized people who lived there. And I witnessed it. That's in Ferguson, right? That was in Ferguson. Okay, yeah. So what happened in, in Minneapolis is, you know, the person who's now the vice president coming out and saying, this needs to continue. Let's bail them all out of jail. Here's a link to the fund. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, yeah. yeah. And people thought that if she got elected, that I, 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 this is true, that she was the, the, the tough cop. The top cop, and she was going to come and put an end to this Antifa stuff, this this violence. And uh, I remember talking to uh, some people I know in the Chicago suburbs. They were talking about why they were supporting Biden. And I was like, don't you think that under Biden, these these extremists are emboldened and the riots are going to get worse? And there were people who said, dude, Kamala is like, was like locking up innocent people. Pretty sure she's going to go nuts. And I was like, dude, she tried bailing these people out. She yeah. she, she solicited funds to get them out of jail. And what's happening now? Yeah. They set the, the they set the Mark uh, O Hatfield court uh, courthouse on fire again in Portland. That's right. Yeah, and speaking of Portland, you know, I remember talking to some folks that I'm friends with in Portland, and um, their big concern going into the election. These are people who are lifelong Democrats or progressives or leftists or whatever, as Portland would do, and um, their concern was, 
well, our city isn't protecting us. Our state isn't protecting us. You look at this, you, Ted Wheeler, the mayor. You look at, was it Kim Brown? Is that her name? The governor of Oregon? Maybe I've got Kim wrong, but I think that's right. And then the last line of defense, it's like Trump. And, you know, he can't, his hands are tied. He can't even send in like federal troops or, or the National Guard or anything. And then their concern was, you know, if Biden and Harris win, now every level of government, whether city, state, or federal, is going to do nothing to protect the city of Portland. And now, like you said, the, it was a federal courthouse was on fire with people inside, right? It was set on fire with people inside. Law enforcement. And yeah. they had to rush out and try to put the fire out. Yeah. Do you think they should have sent the feds in? That Trump should have sent the feds in? I mean, it's complicated, right? There was the, the way that Antifa works, and a lot of people don't understand this. And if you say, oh, it's Black Lives Matter when it's not Antifa. Sometimes it is. There's this, there's this wing of Black Lives Matter that I think is called Black Lives Matter Revolution, but we could look that up. This is the activist wing, the paramilitary ring. The way that they work is what's called inducing mid-level violence. A lot of people don't understand that there are levels of violence or how violence works. And what mid-level violence is is that kid, the brothers, right, in the back of the car. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And what they want is you to either back down and show weakness or to overreact. And so we were referring to this over the summer as the Trump trap is that if he sent in federal troops, aha, he's a fascist. He's sending in federal troops on American citizens. That was The narrative was there. This whole game is driving narratives. We see this with, with what's happening in Minneapolis now. We see it there. The entire operative or operation of what's happening is a narrative-driven maneuver where you have a collusion between big media and the Democratic Party to seize power. And the narrative is the thing. So the game was to put Trump in a lose-lose situation. Oh, he's too weak. He didn't do anything to protect anybody. He didn't do anything. But if he had done, it, the narrative would have flipped the other way. Oh, he's a fascist. See, we've been telling you for four years. We've been conditioning you for four years. Trump's a fascist. He's going to seize power. He's going to take over everything. And now he's sending federal troops against American citizens. That's exactly what would have happened. So his hands were tied. Um, from what I understand, he was also told you know, by, by military brass, if you make this order, we won't follow it. And so what's he going to do? You know, Then he gets put in the same trap now with these other people. He has to like, force them or... Or back down and look weak. And the same narratives are going to be able to get spun out of this. And this is what people don't understand. And I mean, I don't want to make this like left, right, or whatever. But the radical left understands narrative and political warfare. And nobody else does. And so that's how they keep catching everybody with their pants down. Political warfare is the most important concept you've never heard of. Uh, and political warfare are foreign adversaries reported a few decades ago. I, I think China and Russia both had had remarked that the American ability, because we rely so much on physical warfare, we have such high technology, we have badass jets, you know, the whole thing. We don't even think about political warfare anymore. They said that it's so degraded that it might as well not exist. And this is what we're losing right now is political warfare. And the radical left is trained. They're excellent at it. They think about it constantly. And they put people in these traps, these, these mid-level violence traps. We're, we're particularly susceptible to it because... This country is classically liberal, and that and I know a lot of uh, people need to understand what that means. Classically liberal. It doesn't mean conservative or liberal in the colloquial sense. It means believing in freedom and government for of by the people, things like that. So this country is a constitutional republic with philosophically liberal values. Liberal as a term seems to have just gradually evolved to mean, I guess, Democrat. So, but it was like John Locke that invented, right? Right. Classical liberalism is is much more similar to like center right libertarianism, if, uh, uh, if anything. And then social liberalism is the civil rights kind of era. People who believed in free speech and respect for you know people and everything like that. So that that came about. But 
those of us who occupy this like moderate libertarian space, kind of left, kind of right, maybe depending on who you are, uh, well, we're playing fair. And we believe in respecting the rights and speech of the, of the, uh, of our opponents. And the problem then is I, I routinely stand up and defend leftists who get censored. They gloat and laugh when it's us getting censored. That's right. Or I will absolutely, and I did defend Taylor Lorenz in this, in the wake of this, uh, you know, criticism of her because she, this woman from the New York Times put out a tweet saying that, you know, her life was literally destroyed by harassment. I saw a tweet and I thought it was a silly thing to say, but I'm not going to be bothered by yelling at someone on Twitter simply because I thought something they said was silly. Otherwise, my my whole day would be nothing but that. <laughs> well, she started getting a lot of criticism and I just ultimately said, look, I get it. If you want to criticize the idea and the institution, please do so. But, you know, getting into the weeds and getting into the drama, I think, is is a waste of our time. I absolutely tweeted in her defense multiple times, made videos in her defense because I don't like the idea of people piling on and engaging in this culture war drama. And then not only, uh, uh, I won't go into the details, but now there's literally a harassment campaign being fun, being promoted by large, powerful institutions, putting insane and ridiculous lies out about me, sh- talking about where I live and, and my home and, and absolutely engaging in a targeted harassment campaign. And they're all laughing about it. They're all laughing about it. So I can stand on principle and say, like, let's not do this, guys. And then what happens then is the people on, you know, the anti, you know, woke side, the people who believe in freedom say it's warfare and we have no choice. They started it. That's the problem. You know, I believe in uh, a principle. And if my principles are we don't do these tactics, then I am at an extreme disadvantage where I can only it's I can sit back and turn the other cheek when they do these things to me, to my family, to my friends. But if we dare speak up, you know, Glenn Greenwald points this out. They will come for you and they will use the weight of all of these institutions to destroy you. And even when I still defend them, they don't care. They are bad people. No, this is why I say that. I mean, I've written an article. I think I did a podcast, both of these things that I actually called wokeness, but it could be radical leftism in general or even any certain totalitarian strain that I I called it radical left wokeness in particular. I called a virus on the liberal body politic. It takes advantage of certain liberal cultural and and ethical mores Mm -hmm. specifically to, to do exactly as you just described. To absolutely neuter the host ability to defend itself. Your immune system's not there. You know, uh, I like to actually kind of say, frankly, I've kind of gotten hard about cancel culture. And my, my belief there is that the asymmetry is the story. It's no longer, it's just, it's not culture war. There's a, there's a power grab happening. I'm not quite as far as the, the right who are like, it's war. We have to act like war, but the asymmetry is a story. And so for me, until we, Adopt an attitude. If someone wants to cancel, you cancel them first four or five times because it won't take that many. Till there is a realization that this is a, you know, mutually assured destruction, that this that this horrific thing is going to continue. But what it requires is a suspension of one's principles as a classical liberal, which puts us in that decision dilemma yet again. Also, by the way, I don't know if it's called G. Win. Is it GFAS? Is that the George Floyd Autonomous Zone? Is that what I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was but listen, listen. But no, that's the same thing, though, right? Just wanted to point out, well, since we don't, so we don't lose it. That's also mid-level violence, right? And the city has decided to show weakness by giving them 20, whatever half, half a million, million dollars. dollars. Uh, yeah. So uh, their other option, of course, is to send in the troops and just bulldoze this. Thing, they won't right? do it. Apparently, it's been there for like nine months. They put in half a million dollars now as part of this settlement, and someone just died there recently, and yeah. the police couldn't get in to help this person. So I'll I'll say this now. My opinion very much changed in the autonomous zones. I'm here for it. You know what? 
Roll with it. I left these cities. You know, I, I, it's funny. I'm in the Philadelphia area previously, and I was like, there's too many riots, and they cross the bridge, and they're coming into these neighborhoods. So I think it's time to start considering not being in these cities because it's not about Antifa. It's not about Black Lives Matter. It's just about opportunistic violence when things start, you know, going crazy. And we had a year of riots. Well, sure enough, I think it was like a week after we we didn't move out officially. We, we started the process and came down to the new location. Riots broke out, mass shootings. There was like a hostage situation. And I'm like— there you go, man. I mean, homicides are on the rise. Everywhere, And so yeah. I think people need, need, need to realize, I think the last group of people I'm worried about in a big city is people like Antifa. I mean, a lot of these people are like suburban privileged, scrawny, you know, angsty youths. I really don't care. My bigger concern, in Philadelphia, there was a bunch of armed dudes, like repeat offender criminals, occupying buildings and shooting at cops. And you've got... That kind of crime. You've got the homicide skyrocketing. You've got the gun crime skyrocketing. You've got just theft across the board, even petty theft and these crimes in, in a lot of these cities, partly due to the demoralization of the police, the defunding hold on, of the hold police. Hold on, hold on. Nobody knows why it's happening. So That's so, what I so learned on the, the media. media. Yeah, nobody knows. Last summer, it was because it was summer. And in the winter, maybe it was because it was winter, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But nobody knows. Yeah, they're like, you see, in the summer... Uh, it's, it's, it's warm, giving more people the opportunity to go out and more people outside means a, a more crime will happen. Right. In and the maybe winter, they're it's darker. More bread. Right. And, and, and in the winter, it's darker, which means a more opportunity to commit crime. Mm -hmm. And then in the springtime, as the weather starts getting nicer, people want to go back outside oh, yeah. again. So then crime just, in, it just exponentially increases nonstop. <laughs> so it's nothing to do with defunding the police, nothing to do with, uh, you know, a demoralization of police. Just <laughs> happenstance. Just. <laughs> Nothing to do Magic. with telling them to stand down. Nothing to do with DAs letting people off if they get arrested. Nothing to do, nothing to do, nothing to do. Nothing to yeah. do with the city of Minneapolis putting half a million dollars into an anti autonomous zone. Hey, we're at that point now where it's like the autonomous zone has official government sanction, you know, in this place. Huh. And mm. it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. So where, where, where are the conservative or right-wing autonomous zones? Because I, 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 and I mean this right seriously. Right here in this house. I was going to say, I mean, yeah. Not really. Not, no, I mean, I'm talking kind about. Of, no, no, really. not, not at all. What, I, what I'm specifically garden. talking about was uh, uh, when are we going to start seeing right-wing dudes standing in the road, the, high, the, the the U.S. state highway or whatever, that leads into a small oh, town of a few thousand people. city blocks and just stuff. Just doing checkpoints. They did this in the Pacific Northwest when the wildfire, when the fires kept starting. And this is one of the things, you know, Joe Rogan, I'm, uh, you know, one of the things I'm disappointed with him about is that he had said on his show, he was wrong, he made a mistake, that, you know, Antifa was going around starting these fires. He then made an apology where he said, none of it was true, it's not happening. The issue was that it, there was a guy who was like a leftist who was caught starting the fires. And there were other people, many, who were not politically affiliated, who were just crazy firebug types. So you need to explain to people, when these photos came out showing right-wing dudes with signs saying, you know, checkpoint, and then they were explaining people are starting fires. The media made it seem like conspiracy crackpots were tracking, were scared of Antifa. Sure, some of them were. There was one story about a leftist who got arrested. But a lot of them regular people like, I don't care who they are or what their affiliation is. They started fires. And there was a handful of people across the, 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 the West Coast that did. So, you know, Joe's apology kind of just got it wrong. But it's, you know, it's fine. I don't think he was, it was intentional. But there's there, there are a lot of uh, people on the left that absolutely engage in ongoing and sustained violence. And over the past year, it's only worked. So, so my point is... And they're opportunistic to that stuff. Right. Yeah. Where, when are we going to see, in response to these autonomous zones, right-wing groups just setting up in their communities? 
there was, there was a viral video where, you know, Antifa group went into a neighborhood in Colorado and a bunch of regular guys just chased them out and uh, did not go well for those guys because actual working class like union boys, they're not scrawny suburbanite privileged white kids. No, they're men who went out and were basically like, welcome to my neighborhood. And the Antifa people ran off. So I'm wondering if the city's going to give half a million dollars to benefit the George Floyd Memorial site at 30th in Chicago, which has become an autonomous zone lockdown where black clad individuals threaten journalists and refuse to let police in. And the police haven't been in in months, apparently. When do we see conservatives have a peaceful autonomous zone where they set up checkpoints? I mean, you know the answer to that question. Never. And the answer is because the left owns the political warfare. Like I just said, it's the most important concept you've never heard of. And uh, why? What's going to happen? Well, you know what the media is going to do with immediately. It could be as peaceful as peaceful. It could be literally doing nothing but growing flowers, feeding the feeding the hungry, you know, bringing out whatever the most pro-social thing you can possibly imagine is. And it's going to be a crazy right wing militia group of KKK, blah, 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 is yep. what they're going to say about it. And it's yeah. going to be white supremacist, white supremacist, white supremacist. And because those words, those ideas, it's not just that they have power because that's one thing. It's actually that they stick like the word conservative as somebody who like is never identified as one has been tainted almost to the point of like absolute, I guess, taint. (laughs) It's just completely poisoned. And so conservatives seem to understand this. I put this on Twitter a while back, um, and I said that the meme is mightier than the AR-15. And a bunch of gun guys were like, they'll show you mine. And I'm like, shut up. (laughs) It's like, shut up. It's not true. The only AR-15 rounds that were fired, I don't know how many actually fired, but three hit people from, from Kyle Rittenhouse. No, right, yeah, he had two, two, three rounds. Yeah, so the only rounds that came out of, a, out of an AR-15 were like those, like all summer, or thereabouts, you know, approximately. And why? Because every law-abiding, gun-owning citizen knew that the second somebody opened fire, guns are gone, you know, or the bid to take guns is going to start. And they knew the meme, the meme right. of gun-toting right-wingers. And look what happened to Kyle. Like, that was brutal. Yeah. The meme was actually more powerful. An AR-15 that you can't fire because you know it's going to get turned against you in the narrative war, and you're going to lose that political war over it. Uh, that meme is more powerful than the gun. It's an ancient thought. The pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah, that's what I was—I mean, I was riffing. Yeah. <laughs> it's but like it's a, an ancient I idea. Didn't, listen, listen. I didn't quite the, think of that one myself. <laughs> I'll tell you what the real divide is, right? So you've always, you've always been like a fairly liberal person. Yeah. I have as well. Yeah. And Ian, I think you are pretty like— I used to be super liberal. When I, I mean, no, I'm more super middle. liberal— like, 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 free stuffy. everyone, no gun, we don't need weapons, everything can be fine, like, just pie in the sky. Borders you know, are when evil. I, when I, I was, yeah, let everyone in, we can help everyone, like, Yay. all the time, crazy. When, when I was, when I was younger, I was, like, an punk skateboarder, you know, I could play Baby, I'm an Anarchist on the guitar, and I still can, <laughs> from Against Me, and I know a lot of the Against Me songs, I love that band. And, uh, you know, these days, it's, 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 it's all changed quite a bit, but the one thing that I think defines, uh, the actual war, the culture war, is those who read beyond the headlines and those who don't. That's it. There's really good examples of examples of this if you go online and you can actually see it. So I'm I actually I'm actually actually interested in, in maybe hiring a researcher to start tracking this as a data point to go to the subreddits of prominent progressive YouTube personalities and read the comments and then actually read it. You know, mark them for like. Who read beyond the headline and who didn't? And mm-hmm. then go to conservative ones and do it. Because what I've noticed recently is that as I've been browsing the subreddits of, of several prominent progressive YouTubers, 
they don't actually read the articles. They'll comment on the headlines. And while it's true for most people, when I go to conservative, you know, uh, sites, not not so much. And this is also exemplified in left wing memes about conservatives. So there was one that I saw uh, on Reddit where they were mocking the conservative subreddit because the conservative subreddit made a point about not allowing billionaires the ability to manipulate and control our elections and big tech and things like that. And they were mocking conservatives as if the conservatives were, were the ones who did it to themselves. And it's like, I don't understand if you actually read what they're talking about, they're agreeing with you like you've convinced them. Or do you not agree with them anymore? The issue was the caricature of the conservative from the headline does not accurately represent the real world. And that's true for libertarians, be it left or right or centrists or whatever. And so what I found is, why is it that the people who, you know, follow you, James, or would watch this show are, are more likely to be informed? Is it because of this show? No, I don't think so. It's because of the nature of the individuals who would watch this show. Yeah, I agree. The people who go and turn on CNN and hear Wolf Blitzer say, a bunch of white, you know, white supremacists stormed the Capitol. They go, wow. And they walk away. And then you have the headline that appears on Twitter and says, far right white supremacists storm, you know, you know, let's do a better example. You'll turn on CNN and they'll say the white supremacist group, the Proud Boys, you know, their leader was arrested. And they'll go, whoa. Yeah. And you'll see the headline, white supremacist leader of Proud Boys arrested. And people will see the headline and go, wow. And then people who are more inclined to watch shows like this will say, okay, click it and see a picture of a black man as the leader of the Proud Boys and go, wait, what? Something doesn't make sense here. Yeah, something doesn't And that's like up. the red pill moment. No, that's exactly right. You actually start reading the news. That's that's red pill level one right there. Yeah. Um, that's where you see like the news, the headline especially is lying to you, right? And then Always. you start finding the buried leads and then you start finding the inconsistencies in the stories. You start noticing, you know... That the reporting doesn't match reality, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. And what it's all been framed up to be is like, now you're a conservative right. because you've read, <laughs> right? And it, But you, you're you not a conservative. You're actually somebody who engages information like fully or at least more than, than almost zero. I'll tell you what else is really interesting, too, in this whole debacle. There's another level to this. Those who are algorithmically fed red-pilled type information countering the narrative – and those who are actually engaged with the content in general. What mm. happens is there are a lot of people. So I was talking to some guy I know today and he said, he's like, listen, man, you used to be really good at everything. And now all you do is just basically like a, like a hardcore Trump supporter. And it's all you do is just always, always, always protecting Trump. And I was like, do you, do you watch my show? And I was <laughs> like, because we do defend him. We do criticize him. He's like, I only ever see from you defending Trump. And I said, have you considered that Facebook and YouTube are only giving you the videos I produce out of the, you know, three and a half hours per day that I produce. They're only showing you the Trump article, the, you know, the, the Trump defense ones. And you're, they're ignoring the times we've talked about him when we, 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 you know, we're critical of him on war and John Bolton and things like that. It's like, I think we said, I think we said John Bolton 5,000 times <laughs> and criticized Trump for hiring a bunch of dumb people. Certainly we defended him and I did vote for him. That's true. But there's a lot of people who were Trump supporters who only ever got from YouTube the videos that were like, Trump isn't that bad. And then the times when I was like, here's what I don't like about Trump and here's what I'm mad about, it doesn't go to them yep. because they're less likely to click it. So YouTube isn't incentivized to share those videos. Yep. Then you'll get people on the left who are only fed that content because it's more likely to be watched by Trump supporters. And then they're like, this is all he produces. But then the people who actually engage with the content, who would watch every episode, I see them commenting, on commenting online and they're like, we're talking about he like criticizes them all the time, especially Ian. 
You know, and he's like, when Luke and Dave Smith were on the show, it was like a two hours of just nothing but ragging on Trump. Awesome. But people don't wasn't get there that, for that show because the algorithm doesn't give it to him. So Trump, you, Trump has a lot to be ragged. Uh, not to take it too far away from what you're saying, but no, yeah, all yeah. these people have a, enough to be critical about, I think. I mean, sure. You, and and th- th- this was actually one of the points that I raised as one of the main reasons I voted for Trump was because the media is like relentlessly, like totally actually unfairly critical of Trump constantly. Yeah. And they were at the time covering up the Hunter Biden laptop story. It's like there's no evidence they're going to be critical of Biden. They're actually covering up a story that's critical of Biden right now. And I was like, if the media, I mean, the media's function, the point of a free press is to be able to criticize power in a free country. Yep. And if that's not happening by whatever set of, you know, for whatever set of reasons, then you have to become skeptical of the side that benefits from that. And that was part of the reason that I wanted to vote for Trump. Seems like a symbiotic reason, like the clicks, like you were saying, you it's a clickbait thing. So they're making money off of it. And it's also politically infusive for this liberal economic order basically well right plus the uh, i think tim was describing that there's a, there's an echo chamber aspect to the algorithm the algorithm gets better and better and better it's gr- driven by machine learning so it gets better and better and better at predicting what kinds of things you will click on and therefore play the first five seconds of an ad of that they make some fraction of a penny off of unless you accidentally click on the ad and then they make some slightly more fraction of a penny accidentally click on it i mean has anybody <laughs> ever actually clicked on one of those things Not on lately. Unless I, 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 the skip I, it I click on ads on instagram all yeah, the time Instagram's dangerous dude there's oh, no. there's cool stuff there was one where it was like a mini lightsaber all i can tell you a, then it was a torch but it was had like a like, like a like it was awesome all i can tell you then is that, that your algorithms get are getting to know you very I well know. <laughs> dude scary. they showed me this solar torch thing it's called whatever yeah. and it's got like a jet like super long and he like melts through a tin can, what? and I was like, I have to buy that. That is sort of a seriously man toy that yeah, I know. every man does need. Like, could you send me that ad? Actually, yeah, um, I no, there is one here. But literally, I was just like, I can get a torch faster, so I just went and bought a torch. Yeah, well, and I was like, sure. cool. And then we like we have fires in the back sometimes, yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, I just use a torch. Yeah, that, no, that's fun. But no, the but the truth is though that the the whole point is that the algorithm is supposed to learn what you'll click on because it drives their ad revenues. Um, there doesn't have to be a nefarious plot. You don't have to have, you know, whoever the directors of YouTube in these shadowy rooms saying, oh, we're going to turn this all left, all left, all left. It doesn't have to be that. These algorithms are going to feed people echo chambers. And that's how you end up getting like conspiracy theories, like whether it's QAnon or BlueAnon or whatever Anon or WhaleAnon I made up on Twitter. WhaleAnon? Oh, that was when Twitter, you know, they made that, was it Bird? bird watcher thing yeah, uh, you yeah, know yeah. and they put that they put a fake tweet well i don't know if it still exists but they made the like fake news is everywhere on twitter and they put you know a sample fake tweet and it said whales are whales are not real they're robots <laughs> yeah. paid for by the government to control you and i was like this is whaling on and so i'm like making memes like it, they look like a cue and there's a whale though with a tail well, like a so tail. so so here's what happens there was a study a few years ago where they tracked various networks on Twitter and then created a visualization. I saw that. They found that digital marketing overlaps with the resistance, the establishment democratic position. That means the, what is that hashtag? Hashtag the resistance. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, Pepsi and Coke and Oreo and whatever big brands, Nabisco, their ad campaigns live in the same universe as anti-Trump Democrats. So their advertisings are craft, are crafted around this core group of individuals, which means if they see a video where someone's sitting there like with their eyes half closed and they go, I like Donald Trump, they go, <gasps> get our ads off that video. <laughs> <laughs> and then Google says, okay, okay, okay. And then Google goes, we just lost a $50 million contract. What happened? 
the, the guy said he likes Trump. Okay, well, ban it. Ban it. We're losing $50 million. Yep. There it is. Yep. There it is. Put it I on mean, the I, list. I can tell you yep. something a little scarier than that. I happen to know some people who work in, you know, AI development and all of this. And so this guy called me a, a while back and he's like kind of big into all this. He's like a PhD in it or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if you know that they're actually, you know, you have machine learning or whatever, the algorithms and how they work. They actually, the people who are, are, are behind that, decide, you know, you have to, with a machine learning algorithm, it's like the, the, the machine makes a guess and then humans are training it by saying, yeah, it was a good guess or a bad guess, right? In many, not always, but in a lot of cases. And they're literally using intersectionality as the guide to decide what the right and wrong answers are. And so it's like, you know, oh, was this white supremacy? <laughs> you know, it's intersectionality is how they're using to decide that kind of stuff. And that's what's that's what's getting baked into those algorithms. Meanwhile, they publish articles with the Iron Law of Woke Projection saying white supremacy is on all of the algorithms. We have to put more intersectionality into the algorithms. A few uh, a few years ago, I was hanging out with you and, and Helen Pluck-Rose and Peter Bogosian, and I got an argument with uh, with Peter. No, that's a, not a surprise. And it was because I was saying that the media was creating this. The, it was this, it was social media and the algorithms, oh, yeah. and he was adamant that it was coming from the universities. Oh, that's what I, I think both, both are true. Both are true. But the point I made was this. I, wa- I literally watched this happen. I've, I experienced this. I started working for, uh, uh, I started working in digital media spaces end of 2011. I officially started working for Vice in 2013. I went to Disney. I watched how they implemented these things, why they wanted to do it. They explained it to me and I explained to them why they were wrong. But what happened was it's very, very simple. It's a, it's a simple al- algorithmic equation. When Facebook started rising in prominence and in, in attention and generating ad revenue, they started to notice that police brutality videos were skyrocketing in viewership. Something about it was just getting more shares and more attention. And there's like a viral song. This is what happens when you call the cops. There were websites dedicated to nothing but police brutality videos in the, in the, in the Alexa top 500. Absolutely crazy. All they would do is just aggregate police brutality videos. Now, sidetrack. I'm sure a lot of young people who are swimming in that are now activists saying defund the police because oh, yeah. their whole brains were mashed by it. But something else happened. If you made a post and said police brutality, the algorithm recognized people love this stuff. Send it to them more. But then something else happened. There were also videos about social justice, racism, sexism. The algorithm also said, man, people love these videos. Send it to everyone. And then something magical happened. Racism skyrocketing police brutality skyrocketing and then all of a sudden someone made racist police brutality and then if a racism video would get x views and a police brutality video would get y views a racism a police brutality and racism segment would get x y views well i should say x plus y because i don't want to assume it's exponential or x y minus 20 percent or some algorithm of of it would be an increase and so this created a space when digital news outlets started getting tons of venture capital funding they started to realize this is how you make money. A good example uh, is there's an expose on Mike.com. Are you familiar, you're familiar with Mike.com? Yeah, it still when, exists. Right. Um, when they started, they were libertarian. Right. They were Ron Paul libertarian, apparently. Yeah. So it's been reported. And it was because Ron Paul was very popular online. The, the Ron Paul love revolution. So they were like, okay, let's write these articles. Then they started to play that game. This, at, least, at least it's been reported this. I'm a, you want to avoid a litigation. But so this is what I read, and I could be wrong. But uh, my understanding is that they started putting out articles on social justice and then creating formulas where it was like, uh, you know, X has an X problem or X has a Y problem. 
And then all of a sudden, combining these different things was getting more and more views and traffic. Because if you had a community of people who, who watched police brutality and a community of people who watched social justice, you mixed those communities together and you maximized your viewership. This pushed intersectionality as the perfect ideology. All of a sudden, we started, we, there's this one article from Vice. I can't remember the exact title, but it was like trans women of color being beaten by police proves the, 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 the requirement, proves why we need Black Lives Matter. And it was just like every possible keyword mashed yeah. into a headline to get as much traffic as possible to maximize revenue. And so long as advertisers don't mind being on these psychotic, I mean, this is like, the, 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 when you read these articles, like there was a joke meme where a guy is like sitting in a room and he's uh, uh, trying to write a name for a, a Vice article. He's trying to come up with a Vice article. <laughs> So he pulls a, an adult toy out of a box and throws it at the wall oh, yeah. and it just sticks. And then he's like transgender ketamine dealers of Columbia or something, yeah, just yeah. random. That's, that's basically what was happening. And then the advertisers are like, I'm okay with this. And so as long as that system functioned and advertisers mm-hmm. didn't care, it was fine. Mm-hmm. And then they found their boogeyman with Trump. We saw Gamergate happen. This was, I mean, the, the, the start of the culture war, it's a very interesting thing. And I'm not, I can't get into the history, mostly because it's very complicated. You know, I think the Gamergate was the first battle. But what I think happened was these video game websites. What, what do you write about? You have a job. Your job is to write five articles per day or yep. three articles per day. You've already wrote every walkthrough for, you know, the new Zelda game. What do you write? No new game coming out until the holiday season. Um... Speedrunner did a speed run. All right. Uh, oh, video games racist. Oh, yeah. And sexist. And anti gay. Yep. KKK go away. Put it all in a headline and we got a hit article. And then every day they had to do that. Yeah, and then yeah, all the, of a sudden, that's what the gaming you, became. You say the sexist thing too, and you put like a picture of like a bikini anime chick or something like that. Uh-huh, yeah. And then like you, you're also just getting guys that are like, oh, yeah, the <laughs> chicken bikini. Because even though it's a cartoon, <laughs> click. Whoops. You'd have um, like a, a sexist article, a racist article, uh, an anti-gay article, and then you'd make the sexist, racist, anti-gay article. And then those writers would go to other companies and write an anti-gay article over there that would enable them to, to well, you know, game reference telephone. it. Game of telephone. Yeah. So yeah. it happened fast, too. Yeah, so, big time. Well, That's well, true. Because people were so hungry and they desperately want this confirmation bias and they love tribalism. What would happen is you'd get one article, you know, where this outlet would write some nonsensical drama about completely not just total BS. Video gamer accused of, you know, oh, they're uh, uh, stealing $100 from their ex. And then people would click on it and they'd be like, I can't believe he really did that. And the story nowhere in it would actually say it actually happened. But then another outlet would pick it up and be like, I can't believe so-and-so was accused of doing this. Then the next article would say, multiple reports now, you know, citing that this happened. And then it loops all the way back around and they create a circular feedback loop of sourceless garbage. And the whole, the, the whole thing is just algorithmically trying to generate revenue. Here's the best part though. They've created this feedback loop where they're, they're basically parasites, right? You know, like I think the conversations we have are imperfect. We're not the best. We, we, we engage in culture war stuff too, and nobody is perfect. But I think we try to have legitimate conversations, really break down these ideas to the best of our abilities. What they do is they just leech and parasite. Oh, yeah, so yeah. recently we had, uh, this, this journalist from Axios got a job at Teen Vogue. As the editor in chief. Right. Well, the people who work there wrote a letter trying to get that editor in chief canceled for 10 year old tweets. In response, it was, uh, a, a seven figure ad deal was pulled, frozen. The article said they lost it, and then it said it was frozen because of the controversy. 
So the, this, this company, Teen Vogue, which is supposed to be a fashion magazine, and now it's like writing about Marx and social justice and critical theory, yeah. hires on people who are good at writing about intersectionality because it gets a lot of clicks. And then those people attack their own company, costing their own company seven figures. So perhaps there's some optimism in all of this in that these people are just consuming themselves and will, will eventually just be a withered husk in the corner of nothing. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is actually the hope is that, and that's, that's sort of the, the mentality behind the people that are so-called accelerationists. Um, they want to kind of encourage this to happen faster or to get people to see it. Um, I'll just take the story that you told just to kind of complete the, since we mentioned the scholarship and that's what I, I do, I can plug the scholarship into your story because the majority of those people, you know, that you said they work for a video game magazine or whatever. Some of them did. A lot of them were freelancers. In right. both cases, these people probably studied something like media studies, especially the freelancers. What was the joke? You know, we're talking Gamergate was 2014, right? Yeah. So what was the joke? The joke was, um, you know, you get a degree in something like gender studies or media studies or something, and then you're going to be a barista. No, well, probably you might be, but you're also going to be a freelancer because you think you're a great writer and you have right. great insights. So what are they going to start writing these sexist, racist, homophobic, blah, 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 you know, keyword at, or articles about? Well, they're going to start infusing that theory. And then various touch points happen in society that then mainstream it. But what's happening is these bloggers or freelance journalists, I should say, are essentially starting to infuse that theory into pop culture. And that theory has been cranking for 50 years saying, you know, by the way, guys, society actually is secretly fascist. It's secretly racist. It's secretly uh, sexist. Racism, critical race theory's kind of central thesis could be boiled down to racism never gets better. It just hides itself better. And then you have these little cutesy, you know, graduates in these stupid degrees become freelance writers. And then it's keyword city, right? It's buzzword yep. city, racist video game, racist movie, racist Dr. Seuss, racist your mom, whatever it happens to be. And uh, one thing after another. And then these are the people who are poised to write these little fluff piece. Well, they're like, it's like the hit version of a fluff piece, right? No content. It's like, it's like a, it's like a bundle of thorns or something instead of fluff. But these are the people who are going to write these things, and they start injecting the ideas of systemic racism and systemic sexism and all of these kind of critical theory ideas into the pop culture through those mediums. And that, if you go way back, I mean, that was actually Gramsci's plan, not to get heavy in theory, but Antonio Gramsci, the, I'm supposed to always say Albanian, Italian, I, I said that he was Italian, which is true. And these uh, Italian people wrote me these emails, they're like, call him Albanian, Italian, please. Don't sick him to us. <laughs> Don't make it. He was brilliant, actually. The guy was probably one of the sharpest minds of the 20th century. Unfortunately, he was also a communist. And um, he was the one who realized that you have to underpin or under, you have to undermine the pillars of culture in order to take over a society. And he identified those as being in um, religion, family, media, education, and law. So that media pillar. That's what the goal was. He said, what you have to do is you have to get inside. If you want to take a, a pillar of culture down, you get inside of it. And you create a counter hegemony within the existing hegemony and start making it grow. And basically, when you say parasite, that's what you're talking about. It's get latch on and then grow the strength of that thing like, like a Sith or something. I don't know. I'm not a Star Wars. You're the one with the torches. But, <laughs> but um, I mean, that's the idea, right, is to, to get in there and to start infusing these critical ideas. So this is a plan that's been like cooking up scholarly for a hundred years that had actually no real way to work until all of a sudden we cooked up this. I've been thinking about this a lot lately in the last, I don't know, three months, social media. And then I don't know what to call it, but like just kind of like grubby media 
you know, like, you know, little grubby articles like these different Gawker was like just a right. propaganda place or whatever. Yep. It got taken down. Games of telephone articles that regurgitate the same thing written yeah. by somebody else. Grub media. It's called churnalism. Churnalism, yeah. Totally. Or urinalism, according to Jeremy Hanby, the quartering today. Urinalism. <laughs> yeah, <we're>, <laughs> um, <laughs> you said that the Sith were parasitic. I like that because the Sith apprentice, parasite off the master, grows yeah. strong and then kills the master. I mean, this right there. I mean, it's like the whole so Cordyceps plan. It's basically, you know, Emperor Palpatine taking over, becoming the Chancellor, and everyone cheers for it. I mean, there you, know, you go. But That's I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm convinced. More and more, regular people hate all of this. Oh, totally. I would bet. I was talking to somebody the other day about it, and somebody said uh, the guy said, "I think that we are in the majority." And I was like, "We're not just in a majority. We're not even in a super majority. I bet it's north of ninety percent." Yeah. North of 90% of people, at best, to the degree that they're aware of it, are annoyed by it or insulted by it or and, think it's ridiculous. And, and cowardly. Yeah. And, but that's the problem. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll, I'll get to a point where I have a clear mind. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll put on like Facebook or something. That's and a mistake. It, I'll feel like I'm being twisted and destroyed into some dark tunnel and I'll have to stop and put it away and, and leave. I mean, that's why I used to call, I mean, it's a formal term that comes out of, uh, Jock Derrida, postmodern philosophy, but I used to call Twitter a deconstruction machine. It deconstructs anything you put. You put, you know, for myself, a video of myself using a sword. Immediately, people add Benny Benny Hill music and try to make a joke <laughs> out of it. Like, like you can't make a joke out of something I think is awesome. Like, it's just not going to work. Like, I know I look awesome. Just shut up. You know, somebody <laughs> changed it into an eggplant, a giant eggplant instead of a giant sword. I'm like, I just downloaded that. And like, that's like a meme I share now. But, yeah, it's fun. But no, anything you put on the Internet is going and on Twitter, on social media, I should say, not the internet, is going to get, uh, I'm so stuck on the German now, it's going to get, <laughs> Aufgehoben almost immediately, is going to get deconstructed, it's going to get taken apart, it's going to get, um, going to get turned into this dialectical soup where it gets chewed up and spit back at you into broken pieces, like you said, that eventually go into, they become the grist that goes into that, um, closed circle of garbage media and this is actually the process because I, that I, crap on twitter becomes the article that becomes your wikipedia page right yeah, yeah i actually made some food like this once i didn't i have a meat processor and i put in a nice fine steak and then i put in some some fish and some chicken and it became a goop and then i fed all the goop right back in and then i fed all the goop right back in and it became a grayish paste and that's basically what it is totally i have no idea what it is but apparently you're supposed to eat it it's chicken nuggets Chicken nuggets. Well, I mean, it was just meat medley, meat punch. The Wikipedia mm. thing, though, you're, you're absolutely right. Dude, and you know what was on my Wikipedia for a while? Like, my Wiki, I have a new, it's fairly new. I've only had a Wikipedia entry for a few months. And, like, right off the bat, somebody said, like, I'm, like, my Wikipedia, it said, you know, James Lindsay portrays himself as a serious commentator. He wrote a book, How to Have Impossible Conversations. And yet he goes on Twitter and makes your mom jokes. <laughs> that was on my Wikipedia. Yeah. And then that got taken off. And then somebody else, I don't know who put it. I'm assuming a fan of mine went on and put that James Lindsay has gigantic balls of brass. <laughs> like, hey, there you go. That was on my Wikipedia for a while. Like this, you know, about Wikipedia the, is the, the, the meat I'm, goop. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I've, I've, this is probably bad in the, in the bigger picture, but I'm, I'm here for it. Do uh, it. Do you know the Zeppelin story? Uh, tell for me. like seven years, my Wikipedia claimed that I invented a Zeppelin. <laughs> some kind of autonomous flying camera on a Zeppelin. And it was because I guess there was some writer who overheard just like uh, uh, we were having like a hackerspace kind of conversation about crazy ideas. And then somehow they wrote that I actually invented a Zeppelin. And then it, that's it. It's fact. 
And no matter how many times I was like, bro, I didn't invent a Zeppelin, man. It's like, we're talking about. I bought a consumer drone and me and my buddy hacked the drone to broadcast live footage during Occupy Wall Street. It was like one of the first times, I think maybe the first time there was a live news broadcast via drone. We weren't working for a big corporation, so it was just online, but it was amazing. I was like flying a drone over this Occupy protest and then it couldn't fly that long. We talked about a bunch of crazy ideas and apparently an article came out that was total BS that wouldn't correct it and didn't want to correct it because it was a fun story. And then Wikipedia was like, Tim Pool invented a drone. And I was like, I didn't. And they're like, too bad. You're not reliable. So you know what? I'm here for it. I think I well, think that was the Tim. That, that was the Tim Pool blimp is what that was. Right. Yeah. Or the good Tim blimp. It said Zeppelin. It said literally said Zeppelin modification or something. So, so, so look, Tim Zeppelin. I want to I want to preserve the the important cultural institutions that have helped bring about civil rights, real social justice. But at this point, I think the entire system, it's already falling apart. The Jenga, the Jenga tower is in free fall. That's a perfect metaphor. It's these guys are just knocking pegs out and it's only a matter of time till the fall, thing falls down. So you think and, well, accelerationism so, 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 no, is no, 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 no. what I'm, maybe a little bit, but not necessarily. It's but, very targeted. I, th- I but, think I know where you're, where you're going. Well, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, Wikipedia is is fundamentally broken, yes. and it, it it's it's extremely susceptible to attack right now. Yeah. Uh, to, but there's there's a there's a I, I wouldn't call it accelerationism, but an no. opportunity to prove yeah. the paradox. Ridikipedia. <laughs> well, so so here's what happened, right? I tweeted impeach the queen. Yep. We talked about it the other night, and a news guard certified website wrote an article saying Tim Pool calls for the impeachment of Queen Elizabeth. People supported him, saying let's convene Congress. Like this person who wrote it was one of the worst journalists imaginable, didn't understand you can't impeach the queen, that Congress has no power, even if you could, to interfere with another country's monarch, wrote the article. And then here's the best part. On Wikipedia, they're actually arguing over whether or not it should be included. And for a while, somebody put it in, and they tried taking, like, Tim Pool has called, you know, in, in, in 2021, Tim Pool called for the impeachment of Queen Elizabeth. And then people are like, we have to put it in. And people are like, you can't put it in. And then someone actually linked the video where I was laughing, saying, I made the whole thing up. I know how this system works. And I can make a joke. And then Wikipedia must treat it as fact. So you have one faction saying, we know he's basically, you know, screwing around. And it was a joke tweet. There's a wink, em- like a m- wink meme on it. And then someone saying, we don't have the right to choose what we determine is true or false. That's original research, and it's banned on Wikipedia. You have to go by the sources, and NewsGuard has certified the source. The whole thing is broken. That's totally broken. Ridikipedia, that's the name of this project. What, you're working on a project? No, I'm just telling you. That's the name of your project, Ridikipedia. Turn it ridiculous. You you, you talk about how Twitter and everything. This is a deconstruction. It's like a counter-deconstruction. Like, they want to build a counter-hegemony. I want to do a counter-deconstruction. So uh, there's a lot of journalists who will write whatever you tweet as law. And so if you engage on Twitter seriously and, and say things that you actually mean, they'll write articles about what you say, or they'll take things out of context to make it worse. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm all for Biden, baby. 100%. 100%. Oh, who's Biden not? 2024. Joe Biden. Kamala Harris. I'm tweeting things like, you know, I believe in you, Joe. I tweeted one. I was I like, if we you. all cheer for Joe, maybe he'll send us the next $600. I believe in you. And so at a certain point. No, you have to do jazz hands for Joe. Well, here's the important thing. All of my tweets are 100% serious. That's it. That's all I care about. Um, I think I think I've crafted a, a strategy that creates a paradox that cannot be countered in any reasonable capacity. Uh, I'm sure there will be attempts, but the ultimate issue is this. I tweeted, abolish the ATF. I tweeted, abolish the IRS. Which one of those, if any, are my actual opinions? I also tweeted, you know, uh, 
they, there was a study saying that, you know, Fauci says something like COVID lockdowns. We, we are, they said something like, we don't know if there's ever going to be an end of the pandemic. And so then I said, okay, then release all the restrictions. There's actual opinions in there. Which one's the real one? Maybe you can come to one of my, you know, podcasts and try and figure out how I really feel about things. Do I really want to abolish the ATF? I said abolishing the police is wrong. What's my real opinion? Go ahead and figure it out, journalists. You won't be able to, which means any tweet ever used by any publication from me will be them publishing complete bunk BS because you will not be able to determine which one of my tweets is real. Yeah, I do this only I change my name when I do it. You know, I often change my name on Twitter. So this is inspiring me, by the way. I got to change my name on Twitter back to King of Your Mom so that some journalist puts that in my Wikipedia. But <laughs> he really does think he's the king of your mom. Um, but, but Because I am. But no, uh, I changed my name, though, to Lames Ginzy. Lames Ginzy is my troublemaking. Like, if I'm going to say, you know, very smart opinions, if I'm a very – James Lindsay is, is, is a deplorable or something now. And so Lames Ginzy is my very smart person persona. Um he has all the correct opinions. But you, but but by doing that, you're making sure they know which one is the real and which one is the... Is well, no, 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 no. The, 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 the problem here is that when you change your name, it changes your name on all your tweets. Right. So I do it and I make the tweets and like an hour later, it doesn't make any sense. So then they, I have the same paradox. I just throw a wink and a nod to my uh, peeps that actually pay close attention to me. I'm also going to tweet a lot of nice things about lefties. Good. Just to be nice. Throw them off. Just to be nice. Yeah, you know, but, but it's really, I mean, it's, it's really my funny. favorite thing to tweet about lefties is like, you know, is what, what the president said. And I don't know which president, a president, some president said that you can't hate the, the haters and losers. You got to love them because they can't help that they were born effed up. <laughs> it's true. It's love not their their fault. I mean, it does help even to win a war. If you love the enemy, you'll be better served at destroying them. You know, if you were fighting them, I look at it this way, you know. I, I was approaching everything wrong. For the longest time, I, I knew that my word was meaningless for Wikipedia and for these journalists. There was, uh, you know, like the Zeppelin thing should have been a really strong wake-up call for me. No matter how many times I kept screaming, I didn't make a Zeppelin. People were like, the Guardian, I think it was the Guardian that wrote it. So like, shut up. You're not allowed. And so it's like, okay, why don't I just give ridiculous quotes to journalists and let them write things and then have that be... Could you imagine the historical I did record? To, uh, I did that to Zach Beauchamp whenever he interviewed me about the Grievance Studies Affair. He called me, and it was like the most leading conversation ever. He was like, wow, that's very interesting. I learned something new. I had no idea that was true. Could you tell me a lot more about that? And, you know, was like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to plant quotes and see what he, see what he publishes. <laughs> and he wrote the best article ever. I love it. I mean, it, ter- it's, it's awful to me, but it's so funny because I know what I said and I know what it's I like wanted. It's like nonsensical. He published things I wanted him to publish. Right. So I owned him and he doesn't even, he, to this day, he has no idea that I absolutely owned I, him on that article. I think there's two things people can do they don't realize. Become active on Wikipedia. And then the interesting thing was watching people on Wikipedia who are like, they have legitimate accounts and they're longstanding editors arguing over the philosophy and merits and the rules of, of Wikipedia. And it just beca- becomes absolute, it's, it's bedlam. Like, you can't use original research, but Tim Pool admitted it. I don't care if he admitted it. And they're just fighting. Yeah, this is what beautiful. What are you going to do? Because, I mean, it, it reduces Wikipedia to absurdum. Like, yep. it's not even like it's an unreliable source like all your college professors might have told you or your high school teachers or whoever. It's like, it's actually, it's actually just reduced to absurdity. Yep. Yeah. My, my, one of my favorite things is that like, I haven't taken Twitter seriously in a really long time. Oh no, like, that's, that's key. You can't take, t- t- I mean, the second you take Twitter seriously, you're doing it wrong. All these people are mad at me. They're like, what are you doing on Twitter? I'm like having fun. 
It's, it's like a sewer pipe, like as fun yeah. as a sewer pipe. I mean, it's not like that's what just, I used to say. Sends Look, information out, which maybe is in the form of whatever you want to send through. Said it was a sewer that followed you back in the day, but my other buddy said no. It's more like a dumpster fire you pack up in a backpack and take with you. And I thought that was the best oh, way to it's ever still with you, right? Well, yeah. Excel- accelerationism, I think, is the wrong is is the wrong idea. Typically, people use it to refer to like physical chaos and violence mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think like screwing with the press to prove. The, the failures and the paradox of these systems. I wouldn't call that accelerationism. I would, I would call that like, it's almost like sabotage. It's almost yeah, like, well, it is. You can sabotage can be a form of acceleration. Like if a dam is cracking and you're like, dude, that dam's going to break and kill millions but, of people. So you go and you smash the dam. That's you I'm, accelerate what's going to happen anyway because you're like, let's just get it over with. Well, so but not, you're not, the one not, that's blamed but, for destroying right, right, the dam. I'm not, I'm not talking yeah, about acceleration. What I'm talking about is so long as the media goes unchecked, it will not be a dam that's about to break. It will last forever, and it will grow, and then make lots of money. I think it has now, to break eventually, don't you? No. This crazy culture I'm, war no, thing? Okay, I mean, so, until they drive people to kill each yeah, other. Yeah, see, my usual answer with that is the truth is always going to win in the end, right? So it will break, but the Soviet Union lasted 70 years. I don't think— And that, that's a long time of sucks. I don't think the truth always <laughs> lasts. I think the winner of the war writes the history— I mean, reality is still going to bat last. You could, the lie only maintains so long. And what, if whether you know what actually happened or not is a different question. But the, 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 the dam, which I, I'm thinking of it as, as the ability to continue maintaining the lie, um, that will give and it will eventually the truth will out. And the, but the problem is, is that, you know, a, like I said, the, the, the Soviet Union lasted 70 years of not that good, uh, to put it mildly. And the China's still going. Yep. Um, it's been a long time. It's still not great. And uh, simultaneously, you know, when you're talking about something like a cultural revolution, which is frankly what we're in the midst of, accelerationism can push people like you're talking about a dam breaking and millions of people dying. Yes. Tens of millions of people died in the cultural revolution. You are correct. And accelerating toward that rather than trying to di- figure out a way to divert the course of the river um, is probably not the best strategy. I have an analogy. It's like you're in a car, right? And you're like on a on a on an abandoned train track and you can see that up ahead the bridge is out. And if you try and slow down, you might just go off the cliff. But if you slam that gas, baby, you could jump the gorge and then or That's or reach what 88 miles an That's hour. That's what I'm gonna say. You gotta hit 88 miles per hour. And then back in time when the yeah. bridge was still there. Yeah. 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 No, no, forward in time. Forward, when, the forward in time. Com- when the bridge was completed. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> But you need to have like a pink. Actually, that's a really interesting. That in Back to the Future, the bridge wasn't there yet, and they hit eighty eight, and then hit the future where the bridge did exist. And it wasn't yeah. about going super fast; <laughs> it was just the right speed. So nobody died. There was no destruction. So perhaps if we, if no, we, no, no, the train went off though and blew up. You're right. There was some destruction. So maybe the but the train was blowing up anyway because that crazy chemist put those um pink logs in there that were blowing its gaskets <laughs> and stuff, right? So wait, wait, great, so, Scott. So here's the analogy. 1.21 gigawatts. We're all in the woke train, and if we don't get it to the right speed, the DeLorean won't make it to the future where the bridge is complete and we can all live peacefully, Mm -hmm. but the woke train is going to go off no matter what. That's correct, actually. I think that's a good way. (laughs) That that was like... Pop culture reference. I was like, this is going right off the gorge the whole... No, and then it landed. You landed that, Tim. uh, There's a lot of progressive pundits that get really triggered by by pop culture references. Yeah. I'm like, you know, like... You don't have to like it. I don't care. Probably a lot of people might not like it. 1.21 gigawatts. Well, re- regular people understand pop culture. And it's interesting to me, who are these progressives who, like, don't watch movies and don't watch TV shows and, like, are not part of culture? 
Maybe that's why they're in this weird space where they believe these weird things. Uh, they're sad. <laughs> they're Except, sad. How it, fun is it to talk about Back to the Future? It was, it was way a great, better. Great it's movie. Total, it was fun. That was Christopher three, Lloyd's. Right? That was three. Three was great. Well, that's I the thing. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> He's incredible. He's good. Hey, do you? Okay, so we're talking about accelerationism, the cancel, the culture war. Do you think that it's like a Chinese or a communist intentional plot to subvert the political structure? One of Many that this guy, what was the guy's name, the Albanian guy? Oh, Antonio Gramsci. This communist conceptual artist, Antonio Gramsci. Gramsci. Um, do you think they're using that philosophy now to try and undercut American society? Um, y- yes and no. More yes than no. Uh, the infiltration of the institutions and the establishment of a counter-hegemony and a counter-state, uh, which the uh, peeps in the on the right call a deep state, is certainly something that's been an objective uh that's been explicit by the radical left intelligentsia. Uh, it was definitely adopted by big players like Herbert Marcuse in the 1960s. And you're like, who? He was a rock star. He had huge followings. You're talking 1960s and he could like, you could pack a house at 300,000, you know, sales of his book in the first like couple of years it came out or something in the 60s. So this is a, he was a rock star on the left. He was mentor to Angela Davis. We're talking about BLM and the wow. prison stuff. He was, yeah. he was her PhD mentor at UCSD. And so it's like he's not a fringe figure. Um, and he deliberately said in the 1960s that it's time for the leftist intelligentsia in the universities to start teaming up with the cultural outsiders and the uh, racial minorities specifically to form kind of a block that would operate in a in kind of unison by the racial minorities. He didn't, of course, mean racial minorities. What he meant was the radicalizable black liberationists who are operating within his paradigm, which was the paradigm that was identified by the Communist Party in the 20s and 30s as the wedge issue that would open America. So there is an element to where it's very deliberate. Now, your typical woke person never heard of any of this, has no idea. They're just trying to be a good person. They put their black square on their Instagram. They're like, but I do care about racism. And they have no idea about any of it. Your typical professor of gender studies probably has a dim idea at best, maybe hasn't even ever heard of Gramsci. So, um, probably has no idea that this actually was a communist plot, although they're going to still say, you know, down with capitalism, down with capitalism. On my, on my flight in here, I was actually reading Herbert Marcuse's essay on liberation, which was written in 1969. And he's just like, all through it, he's like, you know, what we have to do is abolish capitalism in order to make room for socialism. So this was certainly something that was in that line of thought all the way back, you know, in the 60s and was deliberately implanted into the the scholarly literature uh, very in, in the universities very intentionally then. So there is an intentional aspect to it. Um, it's also modeled after what we are experiencing as a cultural revolution. You know, you brought up China. The Chinese had a cultural revolution the 66 through 76 or 65 through 75 or something like that. Um, it was pa- The way for that was paved. I know Mao was his own special kind of character, but the way for that was paved with the same rhetoric as we see in critical race theory applied to the Han race instead of the white race. Talked about Han supremacy starting in the 1920s in China. Started talking about some people were good Hans and some people were Han supremacists. Like separating that, all the rhetoric wow. mirrors um, really closely uh, exactly what was going on. And they started to create basically racial disharmony throughout China. And then that was kind of part of the grounds upon which that instability that Mao was able to step in. Who, when, when you say, though, is your typical critical race theorist a Marxist? Well, some of them are. I mean, you had the founders of Black Lives Matter come out and say, you know, we're trained Marxists. They got caught on video saying that. 
was that Patricia Cullors? I don't think they, they were caught that? on saying. I think they're probably saying. Well, I know they probably yeah, it was say like it. a public thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's def- and if you read their website before the, they the, scrubbed the, it, it was like comrades. This the comrades Black Lives that. Matter fist is actually just the communist fist. Right. Yeah. It's exactly. not even the Black Lives Matter fist, but people call it that. Right. I mean, that's exactly right. It is. It is just the communist fist. Um, so there's something very deliberate there. But again, your average critical race theorist may not know very much of this because they're just caught up in the theory. Uh, you're just going along with the theory. So there's like this lack of intentionality, but then you say, who's funding this? Who's dumping the, of course the, the universities are giving it space, but who's funding this? And you start looking at the various, you know, huge organizations that are funding this, throwing billions of dollars into it. Uh, you have, for example, Kimberly Crenshaw is one of the, she is the creator of intersectionality. She was one of the creators of critical race theory. She was a, she cites Angela Davis, who we just mentioned as a student of Marcusa, well, she runs this thing called the African-American Policy Forum that's almost completely funded by the Open Society Foundation. This is one of these big billionaire philanthropists that's basically dumping money into this. That's George Soros. That's Soros, yeah. yeah. What's the agenda there? It Was he a communist? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. Mackenzie Bezos also put $2 billion into critical theory programs. Yeah, I mean, tons of them. I mean, the, the Oregon Ethnic Studies, Ethnic Math Program that just made headlines everywhere where they were like focusing on the right answers, white supremacy culture. What? Two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. Well, <laughs> that one's not in there, but it's it's in the wheelhouse. Yeah, but ethno-mathematics for the state of Oregon, which just got pushed through by law, I think, into their schools, that's funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. The, the whole program was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so it's like, there are, are they, is Bill and Melinda, are, are they communists? I mean, it's like, I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe. Um, Can so we just like, I don't know. What's, what's a good word for people like that? You know, like um, megalomaniac? I mean, megalomaniac yeah. is usually usually kind of the thing, right? Yeah. It's people who think that they have the capacity to just step in and do good, like, and it's like the bad guy in the movie. King they Man. know how to, or yeah. It was, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Isn't that film just a bit on the nose? <laughs> yeah, like they even make the My Fair Lady reference. What's that? Okay, so you you know you know the story of My Fair Lady, right? It was um, like a, a woman was like a, a tramp or something. And yeah, then... yeah, Eliza Doolittle. And so this is written by George Bernard Shaw. It was actually originally titled Pygmalion and modeled after the Pygmalion myth, but we don't have to go into Pygmalion. Um, so Eliza Doolittle is this tramp, basically. Uh, and these two rich guys find her and they're like, I have a bet, you know, and they're going to they're going to bring her in and teach her her manners well enough to fake it. And if she can get to the end of this, you know, fancy dinner at the end of a certain amount of time and convince everybody that she's not basically a flower girl, which I think is what it actually is. She's selling flowers or something. Yeah. And that's, of yeah. course, a symbol for something. Um, then, you know, one or the other wins the bet and it's all this gentleman's bet or whatever. Yeah. And so that's what My Fair Lady is about. So that was written, though, by George Bernard Shaw, who was the leader of the Fabian Socialists, which had the crest of a wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> and it had the explicit uh agenda if you can look up there they have a stained glass window it's very famous called this Fab- the fabian glass or the fabian window and uh it actually says something like it shows the world heated up on a forge set on an anvil and they're hitting it with hammers and one of the people hitting it is george bernard shaw and it's like uh heated up and remold it to the heart's desire or something like that uh, so they're trying to reshape the world, and they were socialists. And the goal was incremental sneaking in of socialism, wolf in sheep's clothing, so that oh. people don't realize what you're doing. It says, remold it nearer to the heart's desire. Yeah, that's what it says. That's right. Pray devoutly, hammer stoutly. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so this is this is actually a really famous piece of glass. The, the, the Fabian Society is not well known now. It, I think, still exists. It spun off the Labor Party in the U.K., 
and probably the other labor parties. It also spun off the London School of Economics, which is probably its kind of main operating base of, of think tanks now. And the reference, like at the very beginning of Kingsman, you know, you have, again, this kind of like roughneck Essex Cockney kid, right? And he's just like all kinds of in trouble because he grew up without his dad. His dad died in the thing. And uh, he has a special like Kingsman thing if he ever gets in trouble. And he's always going around and horsing around getting in trouble. He's, he's, and he's, a, he's foul-mouthed. It's really kind of funny the way he talks, you know. Yeah. Eggsy is his name. Yeah. And then he ends up getting in trouble and he calls and it's like these gentlemen appear. And now they're going to make him into a gentleman warrior. Yeah. A secret service agent. Gentleman spy. And, you know, the movie's hilarious. It's really worth watching. It's it, it's like a semi – I don't know. It's not even semi-serious. It's a spoof off of like James Bond type stuff. But, it's, it, it's, it's pretty serious. But it's pretty serious too. Yeah, but it like it kind of – it plays into the silliness of the gentleman spy. Right. And so the theme of the first – there's two of the two films. And the theme of the first film though, you have um, – is it Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. Is playing this megalomaniac cell phone – Big company, tech big tech mogul, uh-huh. um, Vincent Valentine or something, something Valentine. Yeah. Uh, I forgot his first name. And he basically has decided that we are the virus and the planet is going to die from global, global warming. And so he devises this technology that he will, that can make people go insane and kill each other uh, if they hear a noise. Yeah. And so what he offers is everybody in the world gets free cell phones, free SIM cards, free internet forever or whatever. So everybody goes to get their free SIM cards and then he plays the sound when everybody has them and everybody starts killing each other everywhere they are. And, uh, to kill, to bring down the global population so that, and it's like, but the tramp in this movie stops him and saves all the people. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. So is that kind of like defying Shaw's, you know, story? I mean, I I watched this and I'm just, I mean, with the point, of course, I just brought up Shaw because, they 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 reference the movie right, right? and so the or they reference the, the Plus, play I should say what, uh, My Fair Lady. What I mean is in the movie the bad guy is the guy who wants to kill all the people to stop global warming. Correct. The Us- good guy using is a the... high tech media device right. that makes people crazy, which is right. super on the nose. Exactly. And the the good guy is the regular person who didn't want to be involved and got dragged in and found an opportunity and then says, I'm going to stop these people and save the, the ones that I love. Oh, right. A regular guy who along the way learns manith, manners maketh man. Yeah. Right. So that's like their like little line of the gentleman warrior or spy or whatever. But yeah. So the, the question I watched this and I'm like, did the people who wrote this film know, like they made the My Fair Lady reference. Did they know about the Fabian socialists, the plan of the Fabian socialists? They know where this is like, what could be going on here. Are they tapped into the idea that we're using media devices like in our pocket? It's not noises. Bro, it's is, social media to drive ourselves nuts and hate each other. Have you seen um, what's that? Uh, what's that TV show? The the uh, the, the virus one. Oh, uh, Utopia. Utopia. Yeah. Have you seen Utopia? I have not. But they canceled what it. Name? You want to know why they canceled it? Uh, two on the nose. Yep. Yep. Whoa. <laughs> the show is about a. Uh, there's these people. And spoiler alert, it's an old show, but they remade it on Amazon. The Amazon remake apparently got canceled because it was too on the nose. Uh, it, I, I, let me explain that, but, I, you know, let me, let me explain. They, there's a comic book. And in the comic, there's clues to what's really going on. To put it simply, a piece of visual entertainment gives a group of people foreknowledge as to what's really going on and what's really going to happen. As it turns out, this tech mogul guy who thinks that we're overpopulated and the planet is destroying itself stages a pandemic 
and then offers up everybody a vaccine, <laughs> which sterilizes them. <laughs> Oof. And they oh. canceled it because they yeah. were like, <laughs> yeah, no. Oof. And so the, the point was conspiracy theorists were saying a piece of visual entertainment that we can watch is talking about a virus that's being staged, you know, that's that where, where a tech mogul is pushing a vaccine little on the nose with what's going on right now. And so you, you have a, you have a show. They're reading a comic, learning the future or what's the plan, what the plan is, the code names, tech mogul. Well, we got a Bill Gates. We got a COVID-19. We got a vaccine program and we got it free for everybody. And so they were like, you know, stop the, stop the show. Yeah, wow. And the, the original version of it actually was back in like, I think 2011 or something in the UK. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I mean, life imitates art, I yeah. guess. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see that video game Plague Inc? No. Plague Incorporated. It was like the object. It's, it's still super popular. Yeah. Well, it got the banned in China right after COVID. Yeah, they I banned it. it. But the point of the game is you're playing as a virus or a pathogen of some sort and you want to infect all of humanity and destroy them. And so after China banned the game, some time went by. They were like, we feel really bad about this. They just released their expansion, The Cure. So now you play as a doctor trying to vaccinate and stop the, the plague. Mm. Uh, it's free for everyone until COVID's done, by the way. So they said. Yeah. yeah. So good, bad, I don't know, but super keyed into the manipulation of media. That's for sure. You know, there's a, a gender studies paper that's titled Women's Studies as a Virus, right? <laughs> Is and, that yours? I know. No, no, this one's real. It's by Michael Carger and Baran Foz. And they actually argue that the virus makes the ideal metaphor for feminist and women's studies and gender studies Whoa. pedagogy. And they say that what, what it should be is that people are being infected in their disciplines and by maybe minoring in the subject or whatever, and then going off into graduate school to infect other disciplines. And then they Mind compare virus. themselves. Memes. I kid you not. They compare themselves favorably to all of HIV, Ebola, and cancer. Wow. They compare their own discipline favorably. Wow. They say HIV is, is immune suppressing. And so you want to be, you have to take up steps that make you immune suppressing because it's a very effective virus. Ebola is extraordinarily powerful and dangerous and contagious. And cancer represents, I'm not joking, they talk about viruses entering cells, maybe like the HPV or whatever, and changing the DNA in the cell. And then that leads to cancer. And they said that represents permanent transformational change of disciplines and, and other departments and other walks of life and affinities. Cancer? That's how they want to permanently change systems. You know, I, I, wish, I wish. They literally call themselves cancer, HIV, and Ebola. Wow. In the paper. I, I, I wish the grand Whoa. conspiracies were real sometimes because life's kind of boring. I, I mean, know. it's like. And it's probably just you look for patterns. I think they are know. sometimes. That's the crazy part. Yeah, like Gulf of Tonkin. We know that. Yeah, you know we do I mean? know that for yeah. a fact. I mean, for admission anyway. Yeah, mostly for, I, yeah, I, for I, admission. I, don't, I think there is still some, you know, but, pushback. But sometimes but. these crazy conspiracies are real, which makes life worth living. I mean, it's just so interesting to me. It also makes life very dangerous if you look into certain things like State Street, BlackRock, and uh, what's that other big investment firm? There's like three investment right. firms that run the earth, basically. There's, right. Uh, black is a black it's the real government yeah yeah at some point and this is true a lot of people realize because i've vanguard. actually i've actually talked to uh politicians who've said this it's that called it's, vanguard vanguard black rock and Van states vanguard vanguard oh, biggest investment firm in the world yeah. i've actually met politicians who say it's sometimes better to have the power in the shadows than it is to be the public face and mm -hmm. so a lot of politicians are straight up performative they're there to entertain and keep stability in the sense that like it's it's almost like you know with the coliseum of rome People were suffering, they were hungry, there was chaos, there was corruption. So give them fights and throw bread at, bread and circuses, right? 
Well, now they're effectively doing that in Congress. You'd see for the longest time, these politicians yelling like, you know, my colleague over there across the aisle just hates everybody and I'm sick of it. And then once it's over, like you see the cameras like, you know, the, 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 uh, the actual news network would pull away, but actually on, in, in the Senate, they'd like walk over, they walk yeah, over, like, shake hands, pay C- each other in the back. C-SPAN and, never turns off, but nobody, yeah. like nobody's watching it. Yeah. You'd watch him shake hands and g- grab a drink together and be hanging out and laughing. And it was like all a performance because there are people, they, they keep the, the people in this country divided to a certain degree. And I, I, you know, maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's not, but it's actually what this, what the machine does. Whether, the, whether, whether these politicians intentionally do it, I'm sure a lot of people would say they would. The machine does it regardless. Right. The, the city people and the rural people are divided. Even in red states, blue, like small towns are blue. It's the weirdest thing. I was in rural West Virginia and I drove through a tiny town and it was all critical race theory. And I was like, wait, I just drove like a mile away and it was all Trump signs. But in this small town where you had proximity, more density, it was like Black Lives Matter flags and stuff. So you think they're playing performance, these politicians, because it's too dangerous well, to go deep on like the real issues? No. The I real mean, companies I like Vanguard I, and I stuff? Think, I think, no, I think the problem is they don't care. They don't pay attention. That might be true. So it's an easy opportunity for those with massive power to just keep gaining power and no one will stop them. I mean, Kennedy got killed. I don't know if it was a political coup or not, but the dude was speaking out against the military industrial complex and got killed. That sucked. So- and not since have any president ever come out Trump. against the military. Yeah, he did a little Actually, bit. Actually, not really. No, he didn't really. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Weapons deals. He acknowledged it, but he didn't like do anything. He wasn't saying, I'm going to break well, it up. He was all in favor of the weapons deals because of the money, but he was not in favor of the war because he promised to end it. And so it wasn't I, I, perhaps the uh, uh, if you believe in the conspiracies, it wasn't a kill worthy thing. It was like, he's still selling our weapons. We're getting money. No, he's still but he just using drone bombers. He, he, how, how do we sell more if he's not using them? You know what I mean? Yeah. So they didn't like that. They wanted more war. But he wasn't like overtly like, I'm going to break up the military industrial complex. Like Kennedy said, he was very overt about it. Wow. Fearless. So back to the uh, the China question. Oh, well, so uh, I, I, we had China Uncensored on the show. I asked him about this and I'm wondering, are you familiar with Thucydides trap? Uh, yeah, vaguely. Basically, like, we're facing a potential war with China based on historical precedent. I'm wondering if we're already, well, actually, we're already in it. You know, a lot of people might want, might not want to acknowledge this, but cyber war between the US and China has been pretty intense for a long time. Let me just draw back to that word, political war. Right. Political warfare has been happening. Um, the, the biggest sign that I ever saw with that was the Chinese have a term to make fun of the woke, which is Baisu. Yes. Baisu, yeah. It means, it means white left. And yeah, white left. It, it does. does. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like the, the Wumao accounts on Twitter or uh, yeah, Twitter stopped making fun of them. It's like all of a sudden it was like it stopped making fun of them. And then the accounts were like, America has a big systemic racism problem. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. Yep. And it's like all of a sudden they realize that this is a weapon because um, they used to make fun of the white left. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it's now they can see that it's destroying the country and they should embolden it. Was Mao's revolution a form of political war in the beginning? Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they were engaging in political warfare for sure. The, the goal with the cultural revolution was kind of to cover up for the failure of the great, great leap forward so that Mao could reclaim power. So the great leap forward was when he took all the farmers out of the farms. Yeah. And he took all the farmers and said, you guys are going to all make steel because <laughs> yeah. steel is the one big pig measurement. Iron. Yeah. And they all ended up making crappy pig iron and <laughs> nobody was growing food. Yeah. And so command it, economy, baby, it was a, the great leap into the dumpster is what it worked <laughs> out to be a great leap into 50 million dead people. Pretty much. Okay. Now that's not funny. Not so yeah. funny, but, um, yeah, so that was a Pig huge iron. failure and they actually kind of chased Mao out of power. Uh, and I'm not real sharp on the, the, the Chinese history with remembering who all the names are in the gang of four and all of this stuff. 
But then Mao came back with uh, basically with his little red book indoctrinating students and young people in universities and in schools and uh, unleashed what he called the Red Guard and the Cultural Revolution to destroy the four olds of society and, you know, f- old habits, old ideas, old yeah. customs, old ways of thinking. What do you think is happening right now? It's like, you know, Dr. Seuss was a man of his time. We have to destroy that. His time was terrible. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a man of his time. Throw a statue in the lake. Abraham Lincoln. Man of his time. Take the name off the school in, in San Francisco. Throw his statue in the lake, too. You know, write, write like the Antifa A or whatever it is on, on his face with spray paint. Uh, yeah, Anarchy the, A. That's what Which apparently they don't understand what that means. <laughs> no. I love this. Yeah. People yeah. claiming to be. A. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's a better one. Yeah. Authoritarianism. Yeah. By the way, in that essay, just to, not to dive into this, but in that essay on liberation I was reading, uh, you repeatedly have Marcuse refer, refer to the, the need to raise the, the flag, the red and the black flag. That's what he's always referring to throughout that. In case you wonder, like, who he's connected to. <laughs> yeah. What's that? The fascist and the communist flag? Together? No, no. Red and black is uh, left anarchy. Yeah. It's a it's a symbol of what is it? Black is labor, yes. and, and red is red, socialism. R- yeah, it's socialism and, and anarchy is what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then there's black and yellow. That's why Luke Luke really likes black and yellow. But that's, that's capitalism. That's yeah. that fan. Yeah, right. That's the fancy symbol of of Antifa has a black and a red flag. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. And so he's referring to that in 1969. It's like empowering the black and the red. The and he even says the black and the red flag must be empowered behind this. And it's like, huh. Now, anti-fascistisch acton, or however it's said yeah. in German. My German pronunciation is not very good. Do you know what the Berlin Wall's real name was? No. The anti-fascist protection rampart. Huh. That was the actual name of the Berlin Wall. Dude, we just call it the Berlin Wall because that's the colloquial name. That's the common name. But I think it's important we re- remember what the true name was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. So I was reading Bella Dodd's testimony again. I read it in December or November last year. And I, read it, I was reading it again uh, a little bit today and a little bit last week. And um, Bella Dodd was a member of the Communist Party USA who confessed and or she actually left the party, defected. And in 1953, she confessed everything basically about the Communist Party's ideas to the House Committee on American Activities, now known as the House Judiciary Committee. And uh, well, it, not quite. It assumed all of that former committee's roles and duties, which are technically not dissolved. But um, she's confessing and she says, you will always find, I put this on Twitter just yesterday or the day before, you'll always find that the communist plan is to dress up its activities in high, high-minded high terms. So you'll find the communists saying that we are the anti-fascists. Right. And so if you oppose communism, you must be pro-fascist. Huh. And that was a, she was saying this in the 1950s about how I'm an this anti- would happen. I'm an anti-Republican. I mean, good. I mean, I have yeah. those memes about becoming an anti-Republican. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I'm an anti-Republican, and I, that means I believe in free speech. It means I believe in, you know, the, the right of the individual to, to assemble, the Constitution. And if you oppose me, you're pro-Republican. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, I'm glad you understand the logic. The communists <laughs> would say um, rightists. They hunted down the rightists. They did. Rightist intent, rightist beliefs. This was big with Mao. Uh, also, of course, bourgeois. But, um, but they did go right after rightist. It's too naked. But, I mean, Marcuse put that, his essay, Repressive Tolerance from 1965, the the thesis statement is literally almost word for word, movements from the left must be tolerated under all circumstances, movements from the right must not be tolerated. What what terrifies me is when I find myself saying people on the left, I feel like I've been indoctrinated and am subconsciously being used as a pawn to segregate 
this culture war. Like no, the- that's true. What needs to be done is that the the willful actors who are participating in this need their own identifiable name that actually sticks. Woke is a thing, but it's slangy. Right. Um, critical social justice is a term that shows up in their literature, but it's scholarly. You know, we could get really technical. It's a critical constructivist. That's what the they fighting do. mongooses. That's a good team name. Yeah, I know, right? It's not too bad. Flying eagles. Um, but I, I don't know, you know, what exactly to call them. The repressive left would work, but people have tried variations. It was regressive left for a long time. Repressive is actually more. I just call them identitarians. Identitarians is good. Yeah, they, they, identity they, Marxists fits. Um, I, I think identitarian works because uh, it's the core ideology for a lot of what they what they push. And Google search what identitarian means and then, you know, yeah, sure. authoritarian I like sure. a lot, too, if you think about it. But, but, but it's identitarian. These are people who want, both, they want law based on race. Yep. They, they want law and policy based on identity. That's they do. better because if we think of it as left, then they'll use that yeah. to then hunt people down. Right. And it's easy to be be opposed to racism in all its forms, right? Yeah. Racism's wrong in all its forms. is a very powerful a uh, simple statement that also has the concept of what Robert Lifton would have called thought stopping technique, which is what they use on you all the time. When they call you a racist, they're using thought stopping techniques. Uh, Lifton was, yeah. by the way, describing how Mao was able to use a red guard to take over uh, when he talked about cult cults being built. Uh, and he was specifically Look, analyzing man. the Maoist one. They're going to put half a million dollars into this autonomous zone, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Did they say what it was you know, for? Or? No. It's GFAS. Yeah, that's G-Faz. cool. I'm not going to lie. Stepping out of the system for a minute, GFAS sounds cool. Yeah. Don't you want to go down and hang out at the GFAS? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I gotta, I gotta but they'll see shoot me, so I'm not going to. Oh, never to mind. Good. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no. journalists showed up, and they were like, something bad's about to happen right now. He's oh. like, I'm okay, we're leaving. Yeah, that's true. G-Faz. What a loser. Yeah. If a journalist shows up, he's like, what do you mean? I'm outside. And they're like, you better leave. I'd be like, shut your mouth, kid. Go home. Again, Bring I'm it. telling you. That Make is, it happen. That's a decision dilemma, too. They're going to put in a decision dilemma. Yep. And they, and they people lost. are cowards. Wait, what do you mean? What's the decision dilemma? You you have to either show weakness or you have to overreact. Interesting. When they get up in your face and they're like, "You get, you better get out of here." That kind of I'm, well, I was actually talking about the uh, just the establishment of an autonomous zone at all. They're right. They're they're basically playing chicken with the city. Oh, yeah. mm. and if the city overreacts, they're going to be like, "Help, fascists!" This is why we need clown block. Clown so, block. Yeah. Is that like bat anti shark spray? A hundred people dressed in clowns just dancing and playing music oh, and like yeah. banging drums and like Bring you know just because there's there's no aggression there's no attack there's no affiliation it's bizarre it's, it's bizarre and it occupies space and sullies their ideology that's very butlerian listen if you send in a group of proud boys it's horrifying white supremacists attacking poor black lives matter protesters so my friend told me that the proud boys should all put on like they should march socially distanced on purpose they should all wear rainbow masks they should have like you know, like the 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 feminist power fist, like in the circle with the plus on their like emblazoned on their chest or whatever. And they should go in singing like John Lennon's Imagine, and then just it, see it, what happens because that right. puts them in it, a decision then, dilemma. But, but, but sure, but the story would then be uh, far right white supremacists troll black yeah, lives protesters. Maybe what happens if a bunch of unnamed, unidentifiable clowns show up playing music and banging drums and giving out funnel cake and cotton candy? Four hundred articles about the Joker. They'll just yeah. say a bunch of clowns showed up and are occupying the space and playing music. And when when they're asked about what they're doing, they just go. And then who are the clowns? The people that occupy the autonomous zone, of course. Exactly. Yeah. They're all clowns. The autonomous zone is just occupied by a large group of clowns. Clown every one world. Of them. That's it. Each and every clown is unidentifiable. They're not a political faction. They have no political ideology. They're they're 
faces are painted and they're wearing wigs. They're not identifiable. They don't bring weapons. They don't fight anybody. Literally just clowns having fun, riding little tricycles and laughing and hugging and dancing. And what would happen if a parade of clowns with balloons got brutally beaten by Antifa? It would be art that was watched for millennia. People would reference those videos of the clowns being taken away in handcuffs. By who? By like in movies. It would be terrifying. I mean, it'd be hilariously horrifying. What can these groups do if clowns occupy their space? Peaceful, happy, go lucky, friendly, family friendly people there just to have a bring a smile to people's faces who may be sad. This is this is you are creating the decision dilemma back for them. Right. No public actually what you have to do. No public announcements, no organization, just a hundred clowns showing up on a certain date. Just to bring joy to people. Joy and peace and love and yep. uh, funnel cake, of course. Anti-violence. Yep. And if you if you oppose the anti-violence, then you're pro-violence. That's right. You'd have to sustain it to really have an impact. Like seven, I mean, if, seven weeks of clowns. And they yep. could always be the same clowns, but different people could come in. But you could do this take- everywhere. Right. You could do it everywhere. Because when you look at the black block, when, what, what the activists do and they all wear black, you can't figure out who these people are. You don't necessarily know what their ideology is or what they want. And it's, they do this on purpose so they can't get caught when they commit crimes. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to smear a bunch of clowns? Just a bunch of clowns. Touche, dude. I'm in it. No, this is yeah. good. This yeah. is, this, I mean, it creates the necessary dynamic that, that you have to do. People ask me all the time, like, what's basically the strategy? What kind of thing do you have to do? You have to put that. They're trying to put you in a decision dilemma. You have to put them back but, in a decision dilemma. And mid-level violence, beating you know them what mid-level happened? violence, how you do it. One of, one of these leftists would just like a clown and throw a Molotov. Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's, that's the other thing. Cause yep. like I was talking to a guy who wants a, a, like I can't build technologies and maybe you guys can. He was saying that what would be really helpful is if you had like this app where even if it's just anonymous that you know, you know, you could type in your school board or whatever, like Brown school board or whatever. And you could find or school district and you could find out like parents can go in and opt in anonymously or whatever. Maybe there's a community function. Maybe there's not, but you could actually just know there's like, 90 other parents in the schools, school district who oppose critical race theory. Yep. So you feel more emboldened to be able to speak up. And if you could connect with one another, even if it's anonymous at first or whatever, but I was like, that's just going to get like activists are just going to make fake accounts and descend on that like yeah. crazy. Right. Um, maybe if it's like, you know, just the, yes, there are people here. You can make it anonymous. That, like, you know, yeah. no one can see your name so you can say whatever you want. Right. I mean, that, that would have to be the case because the second they find out who you are, you know, there's trouble. I don't um, think so. I think the only reason there's trouble is because there's a hundred people, 10 of them are pointing, you know, the baseball bat and the other 90 are like, but no one will have my back. Yeah. Well, this is the, the, the odds aren't that good for them. Actually, the, I've heard so many stories now because I get like preferential stories of this sort sent to me. I've heard so many stories where you have a school district, for example, that serves maybe five, 10,000 families total in a community and that people do some digging and find out that it's a dozen activists, 12 against thousands. Right. And I've had cases in where, where there's been small cities in the U.S. where people on either like the city council or whatever have contacted me and said, you know, we did some digging. You know, we're getting constant relentless harassment and tons of comments on all the message boards, blah, 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 from different accounts. Well, they're all fake. Turns yep. out there's like 20 people. Only one of them is a constituent because you have to have one to be able to file stuff. And it's like, what tipped him off is like, why is the same person file everything, right? You know, that ha- requires a constituent to file. Right. But it's like, it's the only one. It looks like there's 400 people. This happens to me on Twitter all the time. So I tweet something about Hegel's philosophy, like anybody cares, right? And uh, all of a sudden, I, you know, I get start getting dunked on, which is strange enough. It must be touching some wire. And then 
I'm having like cartoon characters with like 60 followers reply tweet to my tweet, getting 300, 400 likes within an hour or two. Like you can't tell me that's organic. Like that's not normal. I that's I, that's not normal Twitter behavior in any universe. So I just don't check notifications. But no, the, the point is that what you actually have with a lot of these activists is you have a perception that there are lots of them. But what there actually are are very small numbers of them usually with lots of accounts that yep. are, are swarming in artificial fake ways to make it look like there's lots and lots and lots of people. That's a military exactly. tactic where you'll you'll make it seem like there's more of you surrounding the enemy to confuse them, set off explosives over there and noise over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think these people feel like they're insurgents. They, in, in, they are insurgents. They, they know they're insurgents. The ones who are not just like your average like dopey foot soldier wokey, they know what they're doing. They're very informed. They know that they're just trying to claim power. They know what the tactics are. They have books like Good or like Beautiful Trouble that are activist handbooks that tell them how to do this. I'm at a bit of a loss. Maybe you can help. Now, I'm a big advocate of turn the other cheek. I, I believe if someone wrongs you, you the best thing you can do is just allow it, understand, see their humanity. But I also see they crucified Jesus after he told people to do that. So like one time a friend of mine would smack my leg a lot and I was like, ah, it really hurt. And I was like, stop, please stop hitting me. But she, she just was doing, it was just programmed to do it. And one day I said, if you do it again, I'm going to hit you as hard as you're hitting me. So she did it again. And I hit her, smacked her super hard. And she was screamed ow and never hit me again. Yeah. Well, that, the situation was solved. Yeah. You hear this with parents and, and children who bite a lot is that they finally just, you know, bite the, ch the kid back. And it's like, that's what it feels like. <laughs> the kid never bite, bite the, kid. the kid never bites again. Interesting. And it's yeah. like, um, there is a point there. Uh, and this is where I was saying earlier, you know, cancel that. If someone comes to cancel, you cancel them first. It's kind of like a it's semi-humorous, you know, thing. But um, I don't think until the, the, I keep saying the symmetry, the asymmetry is the story. The asymmetry is the goal. The goal of repressive tolerance from 1965 was to create this asymmetry. Left, good, right, bad. Uh, Marcusa in that essay, by the way, if you want to see how touch, how close to what is happening now it is. He says that the problem isn't even that right-wing movements exist and do things and or, or that they would be violent. They have to be stopped at the point where the thought enters their head. Therefore, it requires not even just censorship, but pre-censorship of movements from the right. And that asymmetry is what's being attempted. That's what cancel culture is meant to do. Cancel culture is meant to create pre-censorship. In other words, the idea is not even out there anymore. People are afraid even if they hold the idea to say it because if they say it, they're going to get canceled. They're going to get shot down off of their platform. They're going to lose whatever it is that's their living or whatever it happens to be. The kids are going to get harassed at school. So pre-censorship to prevent people from even feeling like they can say the thing is really their objective. And until the symmetry is restored, it's just going to be L after L after L after L stacking up. Until people grow spines. And just say, shut up, I don't care. Well, I mean, historically speaking, from what I've been told, but I'm not a scholar of this, so I can't talk about it deeply, is, is until the children of the actual elites start having an impact, or the, the parents, I should say, of the children have see it impacting their children's lives. But they're, they're, it's already happening. Sort and of. they're playing into it. Sort of. I mean, that's the problem, is a lot of people at that level have bought into the ideology. Yeah. I hear from parents all the time that say, like, the one thing I wish more desperately than any is that I could talk to other parents at my kid's school and say, don't you just think this is all bogus? Um, don't you think it's a terrible idea that they're bringing in trans strippers to dance? Those people need to have someone throw a, a large ice-cold water balloon in their face. Well, they said what's happening is they know that if, especially, and this is true in private schools, elite private schools, 
that if they say that to the wrong parent, their kid's going to get pushed out of the Good. school. Good. Why is your kid in that school in the first I mean, place? That's kind of the that's kind of the feeling that I have. I've been kind of pissed off at people for a long time, which it's like, you know, people are like, I'm scared I'm going to lose my job. It's like everybody's going to lose their job if this goes badly. Why like, do you want to work for a company that's funding this? Yeah. You know, look, the I, I've stopped caring a lot about these autonomous zones to a certain degree in that Portland voted for the rioters. They literally voted for the rioters. And a lot of people are like, dude, I can't leave. I'm stuck. I sympathize. I empathize. If you're stuck and you can't afford to leave, I understand. But maybe at a certain point to realize that we live in trying times and the world is not perfect. See, for me, maybe it's easier. I don't have, a, I don't, I don't, I don't have children. I've been homeless before. I'm not scared of it. If I had to just walk into the woods, I'd be like, okay. But too many people are scared. They lived in comfort for too long and they're scared of losing that luxury because they don't understand what it's like to actually have to survive on the streets. And you know what? Surviving on the streets, infinitely easier than surviving in the woods. And you don't even have to do that. No one's talking about, you know, making you a homeless person living under a bridge. We're just saying they might take your kid out of the school and then you got to figure out something for your kid. Yeah. Homeschool them. That this is this is the, the truth is that the, the thing that you said that we live in trying times now and people have to start living as though. I mean, this is something I get mad about at the, the, the very smart people a lot is, you know, my opinion is I would agree with you if the world was the same way it was five years ago. I didn't even said that. I got asked a question. I gave a talk recently at a, at a major university, a uh, very famous major university. And um, I got asked a question that was very much to that. You know, they were like, well, don't you think you turn people off by some of the way that you behave on Twitter and the way that you behave? And I was like, um, first of all, I don't care at all. Good. Bye. But second of all, most importantly, is like I can't first the why buy because I can't put a chain around my neck and constrain the way that I need to feel like I need to talk to say what I need to say because it might upset somebody who follows me on Twitter. I don't care. But secondly, and much more importantly, if the world was the way it was five years ago, I would or the way we thought it was five years ago, I probably would believe with you, believe you or, or agree with you. But it's not. We're in a bad situation right now. And if you don't act like we're in a bad situation right now and start living like what time it actually is, then this just keeps getting worse. And it gets harder. I told people this at the beginning of the riots last summer. This won't blow over. The longer you wait to stand up, the harder it gets. Well, I'll put it this way. You're on a, we're all on a boat. And that boat is taking on water. And you've got people like me and James Lindsay and Ian and other people we have on the show who are looking you in the face right now and say, start bailing. And they're going... But, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I should because, I, I mean, you know, then people are going to get they're going to find out that I know the ship is sinking. And then I'd rather look, if I climb to the top of the Titanic and go to the back, it's not sinking over there. It's actually going up. I think that'll be fine. It's like, bro, the whole thing's going to split in half. and It's going to go under. And I'll tell you this. We're all making our ways toward the light, toward, toward the lifeboats. We tried bailing water. Maybe we're past that point. Now we're at the point where those of us who have been paying attention and many of you who are watching have already started getting ready for what those lifeboats figuratively are. And a lot of people who think they can sit back and shut up and, and keep their head down are going to be in for a very, very rude awakening. I, I will tell you, once, there's yeah. a meme where death goes knocking on every door and every door has this like a trail of blood coming out. And the meme will show like video game companies or movies or whatever. And then they knocking on the next door. People seem to think I will sit in my house. And as these psychopaths go door to door threatening people, if I put up the flag, they'll walk past me. And then, oh, no, one day they don't. They knock on your door and they say. Well, are you going to give us money now? Like they did to the businesses in, in Louisville. Do you know that story? Yeah. They went, they, Black Lives Matter went around to all the local businesses downtown and said, tithe or else. 
And when one Cuban immigrant said no, they shattered a pot and said tithe or else. And then they set up barricades and called him racist and shut down his business. That's what happens. Tithe or else. They, they demanded a percentage of the income from these businesses. Sit back at your own peril. Fine. But don't come crawling to me when you keep saying, but I'm scared to talk to the other parents. Okay, well, then you reap what you've sown. You are the one watering the flowers of destruction, and then you're going to come and complain about it later? Dude, the rest of us are getting into the weeds and pulling out the trash and getting rid of the grubs while you're sitting back saying, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Okay, I'll say, yes, bail. Pick up a pail and bail the water. Love it. Also, get the lifeboats ready. But I think we can salvage the hull. So if you're interested in the structure of the system and you want to repair it, that is also possible. But we need to get the lifeboats ready and we need to bail. That is by speaking your mind online. <clears throat> you make a video, you let people know. It's by talking to other parents yeah. and saying, that's ridiculous. No, I'm sorry. That makes no sense. And then if they get mad and they huff and puff, be like, you, you keep your cool and you be polite and you be nice and you let them freak out. You want them to show their true colors when they have the tribalist panic attack. That's right. And, and this is why I always try to be very nice on, on Twitter. Because I want people to look at the interactions between these lunatics and see someone saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. And them saying, F you, you slime ball, I hate your guts. And then when a regular person who's uninitiated sees that, they go, I don't want to hang out with the mean person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um you can't let the lie come through you. The, I said earlier that the, the Soviet Union lasted 70 years of pretty crap, um, to put it mildly. Do you know what led the Soviet Union when it started to actually collapse? I mean, there's lots of economic factors and some other stuff and whatever. But it's when the people, the citizens, actually started to laugh at it. It's like everybody knew for a long time it was a lie, and they just kind of did it. At some point, they started to laugh at it. And so when, when Tim said, you know, it's one parent talking to another and saying, that's ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's stupid, I guess, but think about Harry Potter, right? So you, you had your, your literature reference. I can have my dorky literature reference. Harry Potter, come on. Harry Potter 3 with the, <laughs> with the werewolf. Come on. Good one. And which, which one does he teach, right? You have this. The boggarts. The, yeah, the shape-changing boggarts. The thing that you're afraid of, it, is what, it turns into the thing you are the most afraid of. It's going to mm -hmm. take away the thing you're most worried about. It's a shape-shifting thing. You don't know what it is. And what is the magic spell that breaks it, that destroys it? Ridiculous. You call yes. the thing ridiculous. You just laugh at it. And th that this is actually a very useful parable because the truth is this ideology, as horrible and dangerous as it is, is also ridiculous. It is patently ridiculous. The things that it says, the things that it claims are laughably dumb. Like You know what you do? It's really, really simple. Get your friends, if you're a parent, and you're anti-woke, and then invite an unsuspecting woke person to your to a barbecue. And then when they're sitting there, start chanting, Google gobble one of us, Google gobble one of us, and that will absolutely convince them to change their minds. <laughs> or run away screaming, and, you know, like in the movie. Dude, you can do a drum circle too. <laughs> yeah, that might, that a might drum work. circle. Yeah, it's more yeah. subliminal. Well, it's got to you got to be careful not to appropriate anything. Then, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Snare drums. Yeah. All right, let's let, let's go to super chats, my friends. If you haven't already, smash the like button and subscribe. Hit the notification bell if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify. Give us a good review because, well, if you think we deserve it, it really does help. Now, let's see, what we got here. Acme. Tim deserves it, by the way. We deserve all of the five stars. Yeah. Five stars and thumbs up. Why aren't you all liking the like button? Smashing, tapping, like. <laughs> all of the above. Liking all of the like buttons. I won't say banging. Banging. <laughs> yeah. 
Bang that like button. Uh-huh. Acme I didn't products. Say it. People are saying, bang the like button. People, people are saying, people are like saying. the like button or bang the like button. Or yeah, there you button. Go. There All right. Acme says, it's been incredible reading your new discourses, essays, and then seeing the same ideas months later in articles written by serious journalists. Mm-hmm. Dare to name any names? You're always on the cutting edge of this ideology. Aren't I? <laughs> what are some of the essays that have sparked? Well, genius? I mean, you know, I might have did a four-part podcast series explaining Herbert Marcuse's repressive tolerance and Matt Taibbi might have written an article right after that. They got a ton oh, of visit. I mean. That's cool, though. <laughs> right on. Yeah, that's I'm, great. No, see, yeah, I'm not cool. actually jelly because I want the ideas to get out there. That's the goal, right? And I understand the country club mentality, and that's fine. The goal is to get the ideas out there. Um, I see that, that Claire Lemon of, of Quillette fame is now talking about critical theory, where for like a year she told me it was too obscure. Um <laughs> It's normal, man. It's you know, it, it was a really weird moment for me when I started seeing some of my ideas be repeated no, but by it, other people. I mean, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Uh, there was just a great article. I mean, it's truly but, but, great. But I'll say this. I don't think it's imitation. I think it's a good idea. And then people who hear that and say it's a good idea come to believe that idea and come to share it in the same way you did That's when you correct. came up with it. Yeah, yeah there's another great article, and I, I don't even remember for sure who it's by, Batia uh, Unger Sargon or something, Sargon Unger. I don't remember exactly what her name is. I, she, I'm not familiar with her. She's new to me. Um, hyphenated last name, which makes things complicated okay. for me. Uh, if one of you find it, that's cool. But she wrote a beautiful article. I, I even, it's really funny because I predicted on Twitter the day before it came out that somebody would probably be writing an article about Hegel, which I kept getting made fun of on Twitter about that the Hegelian philosophy has relevance to what's going on. And she writes this beautiful article about the Hegelian relevance of the woke movement. And I was like, oh, damn, I like literally tweeted about that yesterday. Um, there you go. It's like so, you're developing the, um, it the theory or the scholarly presentation and then other people are making it more like mainstream palatable. I mean, that's part of it. I do understand that I write dork stuff that's hard to read. Well, I need to figure out if more people are talking about the psychopathy aspect. I actually think the most important article I've written in a long time, I published it on Christmas in case because COVID because like we didn't have a Christmas this year because um, my mom had a COVID scare at work. My brother is absolutely not hanging out like he's totally coveted out and then my um my kids are like scattered to the winds for the moment and covid makes everything weird and so then we have uh i had just gone on a trip and so it was like eh, let's just all do christmas at home this year so i was like well there are a lot of people who are doing christmas at home alone so i'll put an article out that i was going to save till a little bit after and it's called something like psychopathy and the origins of totalitarianism and it's Super important to understand that a lot of the origins of what's going on here are people who are failing to cope with the world as it is and create what I called in there, borrowing from, uh, what's his name? Um, it's terrible to forget a guy's name right in the middle of something important, but, uh, Joseph Piper, uh, pseudo realities. They create false realities and then they push those through with a false morality and a false, a full, false logical form called a paralogy and a paramorality. And I lay out this whole article that basically they're coping with the inability to cope with the world by trying to force everybody else to live in their delusions. There you go. And uh, I haven't seen the psychopathy article or argument making it out far yet. I really oh, want okay. to, though. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll read some more of these. Jets. The crazy one says, hey, Tim, look up the dates the U.S. declared war on the Confederate States. Huh. Someone want to pop that up real quick? Yeah. All right. Let's see. Ian Hall says, isn't all rap pretty much anti-woke? Like even Nicki Minaj is alphabet. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Don't know. Is, is there any woke rap? Is it any good? I mean, like uh, all. Probably not. I mean, there's no such thing really as woke art. There's it's it's like it's it's technically kind of anti art because uh, it's propaganda. 
All right, here we go. Dr. Roller Gator says, Hi, James. Hope you made friends today and that everyone on the internet was nice. Is he in all caps? No. Oh, what? What the heck? What? It wasn't him. Caps. I love him. (laughs) Deplorable pirate captain Gunbeard says, my advice to everyone left of Marks, quit being a consumer, embrace self-reliance, making, and right to repair. Corporate cop sellouts will hate and fear a culture built around that. Yeah, I think so. Paul Jimikowski says, thank you for being a light in the dark, James. Keep up the fight. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Yes, indeed. Yeah, do not let the lie come through you, Solzhenitsyn. Mm-hmm. Softshell Crab says, so I have two questions. What can a person from a small town do to influence politic policies that help small towns and not big cities? Do any of y'all play Warhammer 40k or know the lore? I do not. I used to. I played Space Wolves for a while. Space Marines. I love Tyranids and... No, I don't really love them, but I appreciate their psychic ways. They're giant ant creatures that have enslaved other races. But what was the other question exactly? How do you uh, how do you influence policies that will help the small I mean, towns and not the first cities? thing I thought is make internet videos because that affects everyone and give your personal Build experience culture. That's yes. true. That's right. Um, don't be youth. afraid to actually write to your representatives, uh, especially if you have like some video stuff that you put out. Like send it to them, share them. Yeah. Um. I also have not played this game. The last game I ever played, I, I actually lost. It's not quite true. It's the last game I ever played, but I was playing World of Warcraft in like 2005 or something. Oh, yeah. And I'm like launching fireballs at something or another pirates or something. And I just realized, I was like, I'm putting a lot of effort into making this avatar of myself awesome when I could be putting effort into making myself awesome. Oh. Sounds like you were barely in the game. Sounds like Dead Mines. Were I mean, you like level 15 or something. Come <laughs> on, bro. I was like 57 or something. Hmm. In fighting pirates? Big pirates. They were like, the, was, yeah. I guess, yeah. Maybe, um, it's been a while. I forget where it Maybe was. Maybe like Tanneris or something. Yeah, I don't remember. It's, I played it was Warcraft 2005. for a long time. Me too. And yep. so, Vanilla. and it yep. might not even have been pirates. It might be making that part up. It might have been like, you know, raptors and dinosaurs. And I'm just making it that up. Thorn Bale. Yeah, it could have been Stranglethorn, Booty Bay. Level 40. It was Booty Bay, I think. Booty Bay. Yeah. Yeah. 40 something. Yep. Yeah. And so, anyways, I, I realized I could be making myself awesome with that time. And like huh. 30 minutes later, I just kept playing. It just the thought crossed my mind. And like 30 minutes later, I was like, I'm done. Huh. And I've never been able to get into a video game again. I've tried a few times. I just literally can't. Well, I had a, like a three-year period. I, I feel similar. That, that happened to me. I kind of yeah. seeded back into Warcraft 3 in that 2009. This, but between 2006 and 9, I just had, I took my Warcraft disc, smashed it, threw it into the sewer. I was like, I'm done. I have YouTube. And I just went deep on YouTube videos. I've got uh, I just I just bought Genshin Impact. It's actually a really good game. But I just can't get into it because I'm like, I'm just not inspired to level up these abilities you know, it's an open world RPG, and I'm like, I'd rather just, you know, build Chicken City. You know what I mean? Heck like yeah. a real life, real life. I, I, yeah. yeah, I actually like like chickens started, are hilarious. Dude. I started turning the circle and training my martial art and meditating in place of video games, and it was like, wow, I turned off World of Warcraft, and I have like so many extra hours a day that yeah. I don't even know yeah. how to fill them yeah. all. All right, we got um, McChewy says, Diamond Hands, my fellow apes, oh. AMC and GME to the moon. What's up, Tim and friends? Keep up the good work, y'all. What's up? My friends, you oh. may notice that we have some merchandise pinned to the chat. Oh. If you go to TimCast.com and click shop or click the pinned merchandise above uh, the chat, you can get your very own Diamond Hands Gorilla t-shirt. It is the traditional I am a gorilla shirt, except now he's wearing a suit, holding wads of cash, smoking, he's got sunglasses on, and he's particularly happy because, you see, he had diamond hands. He held his stonks until he maxed out his tendies, and now he is reaping the reward, so he's having a good day. There were a lot of people that were, that's, I can't believe it. You know the GameStop thing? Yeah. People sold at like 50 bucks. Oh. 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving anyone advice. I'm just giving you my opinion on what happened. And then it hit like 350. Yep. That, I don't know what happened today, but it's just been insane. And I know some people who bought some and they're laughing like they just doubled their money. Like this, this, it's, it's a crazy scenario. It's crazy. I literally, I uh, was on a flight a few weeks ago and I sat next to a literal hedge fund manager and it got upgraded. I was in first class and I sat next to a literal like hedge fund manager and I was like, what do you think of that GameStop? And he's like, I didn't even know about that. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? <laughs> Memes, man. Meme is mightier than the sword. Mm-hmm. All right. The Civic Nationalist says, James, I used to, uh, I use the work you've done to make my arguments against the racist and sexist. You have done amazing work, but they don't care. So good idea is greater than bad ideas. God save the queen. Long live Britain. The sun has not yet set. No, we're impeaching the queen now. Yeah, impeach yeah. the queen. That's right. The... People are doing, people are posting hashtag, hashtag impeach the queen, I guess. It's like a <laughs> reference to like, the more, the, the more absurd stories come out, I can just like, I wonder at what point there will be a crisis of historical record on me when they don't know which stories are real, real stories. So like, there's a bunch of stories about me. Which ones are the real ones? I tried to do that How with academic you know? papers. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you talked about that on Rogan. You said you, you published yeah. like 10. How many papers? That- Seven of them got in. There were 20 <laughs> that we wrote. Um, Turning mind Kampf into feminist literature and getting it accepted. I almost, you know, so Tim's like a journalist or whatever. And he was actually at Peter Bergoshin's house while we were writing <laughs> them. And we had we, we had an event, a couple of events in Portland. And so we got together in Portland and we were working together. And at one point, I mean, the famous video when we put out, we're all celebrating and laughing in, in what appears to be a nice house. And Pete's wearing like a suit jacket or whatever. Like Tim's downstairs and we're like completely forgot he was there and we're celebrating. Uh, but at <laughs> oh, one no. point, and I bet you don't remember this, but you might remember this. We were in Pete's kitchen and I had an idea for a paper hit me. And it's like, I completely forgot that you weren't in on it. And I just turned to everybody and like, I, it's like the whole room went weird. And I was like, oh my God, guys, gentrified cornbread. And <laughs> you were like, what? And everybody was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Well, you know, I, I take uh, sources seriously, though, so I wouldn't just, like, publish private details of somebody unless it was no, of course, of you course. newsworthy. You infiltrated. You were headed. Well, we were, uh, awesome. we were doing a, uh, what were we doing? We were, we were doing an interview on critical race theory stuff. Yeah, well, I know. I couldn't remember if you were there. This one when James Damore was there. So I couldn't remember if you were connected to that event or. Yeah. I, I don't think at the exact same time, but we, we, I, we stuck around. We drove back and forth, I guess. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We went to the James Damore thing in Portland. Yeah. I think it was Portland, right? Yeah. We hung out a little bit at Pete's yeah. house. And then we all argued about universities versus media and stuff. And oh, turns yeah. out we were both right. And of there course we were. All right, let's see. Brandon Beck says, have you seen George Alexopoulos' comic of you, Tim? It's you feeding your chickens and you get abducted by aliens. It's really funny. Love the show. I do. It's amazing. And uh, we've completed Chicken City today. Yay. We have two little chicken houses, then two little chicken, like... Bungalows? Yeah. And They're then different. one chicken town hall. And we're going to put addresses yes. on them. Yes. So then, you know, it's like an actual We city. gave Bucko a little tour. Let, oh, let him sniff fun. it out. Is he was there, stoked. He was running around. Yeah, is there going to be like a squirrel autonomous zone in the middle? Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. oh, we'll find out. That sounds great. Maybe. They can get through the wiring, I think. No, I don't think so. A good, I hope not. A squirrel might be able to slip we, we, through. We have, to be, we, we have to you know, take it seriously, though, because we, you know, we're in the middle yeah. of those predators and stuff. No, that's true. I mean, yeah, you're, you'll see an uptick in your foxes and, and hawks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Uh, they have little houses, and we surrounded the whole thing. It's, in, it's caged in. Yeah. But I don't think the squirrels would attack chickens if... Nah. If they did get no, chickens, no, squirrel. squirrels. Yeah. yeah, the chickens would eat the squirrels. No, my neighbor has chickens. They're cool. Unsettling. <laughs> They're cool. So uh, another question. Jordan Nick says, "Great uh, guys, great work. Love the show. Quick question for Ian. Who's your go-to army for 40K? You seem like a Tau or Eldar player. 
Oh, I love the Eldar man, but Josh picked him first. I mean, the, the Harlequin kiss was so deadly in the early days. If you, the distortion cannon, if it hit any tank, it would just completely, the tank would disappear. It was so overpowered. So I always wanted to play Eldar, but since Josh already had my space wolves, I think I like Tyranids. I like the psychic worm creature that can control armies of gene stealers. Now I know what it's like for everybody when we mentioned Magic the Gathering. Yeah, you're going to love no 40k. Idea. Tap your swamp. All right, this one's important for you. <laughs> Brian Kluver. Do you know who that is? I do. Hey, look, it's Jimmy Lindsay. He and his sibling were raised in the old neighborhood where they were my younger sibling's friends. He was just a kid down the road. Hopefully will be known as a modern day hero. Keep going, James. Woo! Right on. Three Thanks, Brian. Points. Thanks, Brian. Good to hear from you, man. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. cool, huh? Yeah. All right, let's see. Uh, Amalashok says, Tim, you hung the picture. Now I have to fix the leaky toilet. Told my wife I'd do it when you did. Thanks. <laughs> a Pisces and nine of spades. Love it. So, yeah, we changed the, the image behind uh, uh, James, James yeah, because it was the Donald Trump Joe Rogan one. But now that it's just Biden, I was like, we have two images of Biden eating children, you know? <laughs> oh, so, okay. Yeah, so behind you, it's he's eating boom, okay, boomer girl. That's normal. Not a child. Uh-huh. But then behind James, we have Joe Biden just literally being handed a little girl who he eats. Child. Biden is all over I this room. I don't know what George Alexopoulos was thinking when he <laughs> made the one of Joe Biden just eating the little girl and everyone cheering and giving thumbs up as he does it. But it is one of the greatest pieces of modern art I have ever seen. Have you seen the meme where they took pictures of him like creeping on people's hair and stuff? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Look you over it. We'll bring him back. Yeah, memes. I love it. Let's see. Tim Paul says, hey, Tim, I always enjoy your show. I just did a metal cover of Will of the People. I would be honored if you would check it out. My channel is just my name. Tim Paul's. It almost sounds like the exact same name. Huh. I will look into it. That sounds nice. Michael Leone says, been watching since Fukushima. You do great stuff. You often mentioned making culture to impact the world. So Minecraft playthrough when? Probably never, but uh, Chicken City. <laughs> Yeah, did you hear the song that I wrote, Will of the People? No, I didn't. Oh, I'll have to show it to you later. Yeah. Everybody else, you can check it out. It's an original song, and, and you'll love it. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's very, very, very political. In fact, I think people who are into politics would probably like it more than your average music fan, but I think it's a good song. I mean, I wrote it. I have to be uh, proud of myself, you, I suppose. You know what would be cool is if we had a Minecraft uh, world of this house. It might be a security breach type thing where we don't want people knowing the layout of the house necessarily but if people could like walk around your house and they'd be like oh i get to see what we'll sees what we'll do is we'll put an ipad on one of those like a big like on a segway or something and then you can log in and control it there used to be they still probably still have these but there was this thing that um my my brother's friends had where it was a little robot that could be remote controlled by anyone you give access to and so this guy gave his friends access to drive the robot around his house and there's a camera on it. So you're driving around and you can yell things at people. And it's just really funny to be this little like robot in your friend's house. And you go like the dog is like running. You're chasing the dog. Yeah, yeah it's fun. It was fun. Fun little toy. That's awesome. That's cool. All right. Let's see. Woody says lived in SF and worked for a huge tech company. Quit after seeing the critical race theory stuff. JL had been warning about. And now thanks to him and Tim Kett's crew, I finally moved out of crazy California yes. and never voting Dem or lazy Republican again. Here's Woo. to you all. Hey, nice. there you go. Awesome. Oh, hello. Pablo Martinez says, look at the post-millennial article of Sarah Silverman. She's now claiming to be politically homeless, and that's a former Hollywood elite to respect. Mm-hmm. Never been a big fan of Sarah Sil- Silverman's kind of humor, shock humor, where she says, like, really offensive things. But I love the ability that she- I love she has the ability to do it. And so I absolutely welcome Sarah Silverman in with open arms to whatever group we are in terms of not like politically tribed but still anti 
censorship. You're believing in truth and weird stuff like that. I I look. Sarah should be allowed to say all the stupid, yeah. crazy jokes that she wants. You know, I agree. I got a really good vibe from her in 2007, and and just saw like she she could see through it a little better than a lot of people. She looks like somebody I actually know in real life, so I get kind of confused. There you go. All right, here you go. Alan Ortega says Thomas Sowell was once a Marxist. When asked what caused him to change, he simply said, replied, "Facts." There you go. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a pseudo reality. Yeah. Ethos Tattoo says, I, I seen someone post about how much Fox makes of, of service providers for their channel, off service, service providers. What I'd love to see how much MSNBC and CNN make of ad revenue when a black man is shot by police. It's probably high. They probably get a lot of a big, big boost in ratings. You can actually Google search the ad rates for all of these cable channel, uh, all these shows. Brandon Toms says, James Lindsay, the woke Jedi, the woke Jedi, excuse me, will bring balance to the force. Yes. That's the goal. There you go. It's like, watch out, you know. I get you. You kind of seem like Qui-Gon. <laughs> Qui-Gon. Brand, Did you I, I didn't know if like that was going somewhere weird. Um, no, he's just a Jedi well, he master. Well, he, he adds, thanks for harrowing woke hell for the sake of all mankind. I'll show you all my, my Pung Jin later. Oh, yeah. Cool. I showed Lydia my Pung Jin earlier. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it was very thick. Oh. Kevin Pilgrim says, this guy is freaking awesome. Also, I wish Sour Patch Lid saying yes played every time I accomplished something. Well, there you go. It's an achievement sound. <laughs> we got a lot of really great uh, super chats from people just giving super chats. So I really appreciate uh, uh, those super chats. I love it. Eric Miller says, so the world is being affected by an intersectional centipede. Also, Tim, you should look up Proto Saber. Oh, I know. I know about the Proto Saber. And uh, there was one guy. Was it the Hacksmith? Is that his name? He made a, pro, think, yeah. a proto saber. So do you know about proto sabers in Star Wars? I don't know no. the technical. It was like they wore backpacks because like they they didn't have the power source for like the for like the little like the, handheld. Yeah, exactly. And so what this dude did was he made a gas powered plasma. It's like it's crazy. It's um, it it looks like a lightsaber. Whoa! But it's just like a plasma jet, so it like, cuts through stuff. Is that the thing that you saw as an ad on in your Instagram? <laughs> no, it was that, that one's just a little torch. It's a little torch lighter. That it's is, just got like a good beam. And it's like you can melt metal. That's yeah. cool. All right, let's see. David Hogan says biggest super chat yet. Broke warehouse worker from the Chicago Burbs. Been watching you guys for two years. You're the best. Love you guys. Thoughts on the change to propaganda laws snuck into the NDAA back in the Obama in Obama's era. I think that was more about foreign propaganda. I'm not entirely sure. I have to reread it. Yeah, I don't know the law. It um, was, I think it was something about stuff that was made for American propaganda outlets overseas could now be allowed to be played here in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. That's been a while. I mean, we're definitely inundated in propaganda, and there's some books about propaganda that you should definitely read. Um, you should also read Edward Bernays' uh, Manufacturing Consent, which is an important essay. It's like yeah. eight pages long. He's the father of modern propaganda, right? That's Bernays? correct. I mean, we're supposed to say public relations, but that's uh, a piece of propaganda in and of itself. Whoa, it's meta. Yeah. Infohole says Richard Dawkins developed the concept of a meme out of his contempt for Christianity. But the idea of a meme as a virus that spreads rapidly between minds is oddly useful for leftism. There you go. Yeah, memes, I mean, the, the evolution of, of conceptual or symbolic con conceptual things, it, it totally makes sense. And, and what happens with what we call memes, like taking Joe Biden being a creeper and sticking Pepe Le Pew's face on it, <laughs> it really fixes it. It's like that's genetic material, mimetic material yep. combining with one another. D. Mills says, haven't watched the show yet, but just wanted to say, Lindsay is an absolute boss. I've shared the New Discourses podcast on Antonio Gramsci with everyone I know. So good. 
A there lot of people like that one. You should check it out. Yeah, I laid out Gramsci. We talked about Gramsci. I laid out Gramsci um, and where he came from, what he was thinking, what his plan was, and how it's relevant to today. It's on New Discourses. You can check it out. All right. Corey Steinfield says, I really love the show, and I appreciate the center, center-left viewpoint. You guys are awesome. I'm getting into crypto, and I was wondering what your methods of buying and storing crypto were. Keep up the great work. Um, I don't think it's probably appropriate to talk about ways in which we well, store. I will. Oh, like what websites? There's, oh, there's multiple websites. ones you can use. You can use Coinbase. BlockFi.com is another interesting one. You can use You're not Binance. storing your, your crypto if you do that. Well, if someone's storing it, it's, it's on the blockchain. You're just using that to get to it. Basically, if you go to any one of these crypto distributors or whatever, and you buy Bitcoin on their website and just have an account with them, they have the Bitcoin. Okay. You just agreed that they owe it to you. So if something bad happens, like what happened with Mt. Gox back in the day, you have no Bitcoin. Yeah, it's 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 risky, but super convenient to move it around if you leave it on if the you're, internet. For you the layman, all, you know, if you're not, it's cold storage. Is, if you have is a more huge difficult. amount, get a cold storage thing like the Nano X. I, I have one of those, and then you can store it locally. The most it, it's still thing, on a blockchain, but you get yeah. to it through local keys. What you need to do is really just make memes. Memes. Yes, memes. Yes, like you put at. a laser on your crotch and make that your Twitter profile. You, <laughs> yes. you tweet HODL a lot. Um, you know, you tell everybody that James Lindsay's going to the moon. I'll take Tim Pool oh, with me. I think it's the other way around, but <laughs> yeah. we're going to the moon later tonight. Oh, yeah. right. I forgot about that. Everybody buy conceptual coin. It doesn't exist, but buy it anyway. We it's can make it very, very easily. Man spreading. It, it is extremely easy to make an ERC-20 token. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Ted 2 says the military is implementing a mandatory extremism in the ranks stand down per Secretary of Defense to address extremism in the wake of January 6th. We are being required to watch a two-plus-hour speech about white supremacy and its influence. Look into it on Timcast, please. That's I think I did a talk about it back when it happened before. I wonder if that's a new thing. Yeah, the, no, there's a lot going yeah. on. The military has been wokeifying pretty steadily for a while. I hear from people at a lot of levels, you know, from officer to brass to, to um, enlisteds. And it's like people are, they're wokeifying the damn yep. thing. And it's not good. It is not good. So if that's you, you know, you got to know the facts for yourself and don't lose your head when you're getting, you're not going to like reject this. You're not going to reject the structure of the military if you're in it. So you have to keep your head. What's with all the 40K? Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. People I love that. So many people are talking it's about It's such that. a popular game. You guys are never, you've, were going to say? Well, let me, let me read this. People love games, as I was about to say. Yeah. So 20-something Drifter says, Tim, we need a clown block. We need a death core of Krieg block. Worst comes to worst, we expose the normies to 40K. The emperor wills it, and you shall obey. Honestly, I bet there's a lot of metaphor between the, the there's the empire, the imperials, and the psychic emperor, who's basically, they have him like in a, in a, uh, his body's like wasted away after thousands of years, but his psychic energy persists. Um. Then there's space marines, which are like genetically altered humans. I could go on and on. I don't know too much about it, though. Tap your swamp. Yeah, you can always just tap the swamp. <laughs> there you go. It's tap like your swamp. Uh, and then cast Dark Ritual to get three black mana. And then, and then you know, play cast, ne- cast Necropotence. And uh, play Phyrexian many. Negator and get your yeah. turn one, five, five. I'll, and then you win. Seven, seven, flying trample. Block with That's what? Turn one, pit, five, five. You got Lord of the Urza Pit. Block, Lord of the bro. Pit. You knew which card I was oh, talking yeah. about. Seven, seven. Seven, seven, flying trample. It's the only thing I remember from Magic. Lord except <laughs> yeah. Biggest, baddest card in the early days. Yeah, like way back. All right. Uh, Siri, uh, C- uh, Siren? Uh, McGowan, probably pronouncing it wrong, says, I'm a 37-year-old skateboarder. We look at life from a different perspective than the rest of the world. We need little. 
My wife and I pulled our young kids out of school in March 2020. We've seen this coming. Yes. And uh, if you would like to watch me skateboard, you can search on YouTube for Tim Pool Nolly Hard Flip Rewind and Hang 10 Hard Flip. And my good friend Brett Novak filmed and produced those videos. And they're like some of the best tricks ever on flat ground. Trust so me. Cool. If you out. want to see me skateboard, you can download the same video and get one of those uh, deep fake apps and uh-huh. put my face on Tim. Yes. Boom. That's all I got. Nailed all right. It. Let's see. Aurora Diaz says, any thoughts on unrestricted warfare written by CCP members that calls for the weaponization of everything to destroy the West? Is there a chance this is just a new kind of warfare utilizing useful idiots in another country to destroy it from within? It's an old kind of warfare using new tools. It's political warfare. It's not new. We just forgot what it is in the, in the, in the West. Like I said, the communists assessed this you know, 40 years ago and said that literally the Americans' ability to detect political warfare is so degraded as it is may as well not exist. So it's an old form of warfare. It's the political warfare. It is the most important concept you've never heard of. It is what what we're in the middle of right now. All right. Superman, if he wasn't scared of green rocks, asks, Tim, quick question. Not looking for financial advice, but how many people on the show are invested in AMC or GME just out of curiosity? Well, I can say for myself, I have no AMC or GameStop stonks. I do not. Do you, do any of you guys? Nope. I don't know. Nope. nope. Sorry. We're just not diamond hands no. enough. I'm uh, so deep in crypto. I, I think I did, that I, that was an important event, though. I didn't want sure. to buy those because as like covering the story, I didn't want to be a contributor to any like rise or gains and then have a stake in it. But I do have Nokia because I actually like Nokia. I used to do a lot of tech work with and I have I would have like every single cell phone and we did some mobile apps and I was doing mobile live streaming. So when I heard there was a report that came out that Nokia was doing well, it it is one of the meme stocks, but I guess it's not doing well. Like nobody really cared. Mm -hmm. I just like the idea of, you know, having some stock in a a tech company Mm -hmm. and then like reports are saying that Nokia is going to do well. So I own some, but I'm not giving anyone advice. That was just my opinion on why I did. Yeah, I don't have any advice at all, except that I think that it's like you. It's like, you know, I comment on this. I think the GameStop thing was super, super actually symbolically important. Yeah. Sonny James says they probably can't fund the police in those areas anyway. Half of the cost uh, I would charge to risk my my life for those coward politicians. CDC issued warning about zombie virus when all of them peeps pour out of those starved cities, methinks. Hmm. Did you guys hear about the zombie the CDC zombie virus thing? That's like a joke thing they've always had. It's Yeah, but I was like, thinking today, we were talking about earlier, me and Adam were on his show, about how Hitler framed the Jewish population as rats. And if we were, if we get to a situation where people are so homeless and destitute that they start to roam the streets in desperation and start eating other humans' dead bodies, like cannibalizing, that it may be framed that they're zombies. It's okay. Kill them all. And that people are desensitized to it because of propaganda like that. Dude, this is like some of the best left-wing cred that I still have. Like, nobody believes me. It's like, I used to see, like, I never really watched TV, but my friends were all into, like, The Walking Dead. And I was like, this is a bad metaphor. This yeah. is a bad, all, every right-winger is into, like, killing zombies big time like, and seeing them everywhere. Like, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, so it was like, I thought, I was a little afraid that The Walking Dead was, like, propaganda for right-wingers to start thinking of leftists and zombies. And it's like... No dehumanization is good. Yes. Like, don't do it. I agree. All right, we'll do a couple more Super Chats. We got one from Jason Hopper. He says, Diamond Hands, Gorilla in pillow form and harumph. I'll buy both. Ah. 
All right, we will. Uh, I will get those graphics transferred over to Pillows and make them available for everybody. It is our Gorillo. Our, ooh, our Gorillo. Yes. So that's the, that's that's the mock-up our pillow. Yeah. The graphic, but then you see the burlap sack over there. Yeah. That's the official that's the prototype re- for the. Oh, that's the real one. The, yeah. yeah. We're gonna, we're doing a commercial that's where I'm le- like we're legit gonna buy airtime on TV and. Oh no, kidding! It, <laughs> yeah. it depends on if we can get it timed properly. So we're working on it. We are, and we want to do it at a specific strategic political moment. Mm. I'll just leave it at that. And I told I've him already. That, I've already talked to Fox about it. I told him on, uh, on Twitter that if he doesn't make one the size of those like bean bags, like bodies, like huge, huge bean bags yeah. that you can use as a bed, and call it the Hogzilla, that it's not real. <laughs> like he's not committed until that happens. <laughs> All right, hear him. Luminescent says, "Hi Tim, good podcast. Any news when Lawai and Serpentsa will appear here? They are concerned about COVID. That's ah, their main mm. holdup right now. But we are going to make it happen. But but no, but Lawai's everything's good. reopened. Not everything." Yeah, I need, I'll follow up with them. But, okay. Yeah. Lao Wai is really good, though. Yeah, um, that'd be cool. Yeah. He's really good. All right, let's see. I think maybe we can grab uh, one more. L says, great show. James, you are brave, and please know you are in my family's nightly prayers. How do you see this critical race theory thing ending? I've seen you mention bullets. Scary stuff. Um, I don't have, I mean, like, it, it matters to, a lot. And if I'm blackpilled at the moment, you ask me that question. Huh. Uh if people will actually do like we've just said on the show repeatedly, which is start saying it's ridiculous, start speaking plainly and truthfully about it, start showing up and and using what's left of, of the institutional mechanisms, because a lot of the institutions are not dead. A lot of the institutions are filled with people. And I know because I just spoke with some in the last two days that just don't know what it is. They have no idea. I'm talking about like legislative bodies. I'm talking about school boards. They have no idea that this is what's actually happening. If you start informing these people, this is like the, the Hail Mary, then there's a way out of this where, in fact, it all can almost evaporate, as I think Helen put in Cynical Theories, as like a puff of its own contradictions or something like that. Um, but if it continues to take over more and more and more institutions, the the ways out are very slim and I don't think that, and I, when I don't advocate f- bullets. It's a terrible thing. I don't advocate. It's a, that is the worst thing ever. What, when I say that, what I what I'm actually thinking is that the United States is not a country that is likely to go the route of peasant societies like China was in the '60s or like uh, Russia was in 1917. They're not likely to just kind of go along with this and, and fall into it, or, or Germany was in the 1930s it's likely that there will be fighting back. And that's a worst case scenario short of just outright losing, in my opinion. So start speaking up and speaking honestly. And the way out of this works out by just speaking the truth and pointing out this is not what it purports to be. It is reinventing racism. Nobody wants this. And start telling other people that in plain, easy language. And you can actually convert people into understanding this. And then it's like, we're not beholden to just like sleepwalk off a cliff here. Uh, yeah, this is so important. Right on. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for hanging out. Smash the like button because it really does help. And if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms, leave us a good review. Give us all those stars because it helps. It really does. And if you really love the show, you're a big fan. You got to share it. Uh, that's really the only way these shows grow. You know, I guess marketing campaigns don't really work. You got to just have good word of mouth. So. We appreciate it. You can follow me on all social media platforms at TimCast. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably be confused half the time because <laughs> it's meant to be a chaotic, garbled, nonsense mess uh-huh. for fun. And uh, I wonder how long until no one takes anything I post on Twitter seriously, which is kind of the point. 
But uh, my other YouTube channels are youtube.com slash TimCast, youtube.com slash TimCastNews. This show is live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. So we'll be back on Monday. But I mean it this time. We are going to have a special exclusive episode. It's not going to be a podcast. It's going to be the Chicken City. Yes. Okay, okay. Now, yes. the Chicken City is built, but it's an issue of whether or not we can actually get the chickens because a lot of places are saying it's not quite chicken time yet. No. But if you want younger chickens, you can have them. And I think maybe we'll just get some, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. I want to make sure we do it properly for the sake of the chickens and their well-being. And uh, I want to be able to film it when we do. So we might, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to actually procure some chickens tomorrow and film the process and show you our little chicken village. It's not very big. And that will be bonus content available at TimCast.com. Yes. So we're really hoping with TimCast.com to do more than just podcast shows. So if you're a member, there will eventually start being more stuff. There will be, you know, training videos on the range. Maybe Luke can do some, some you know, drills or he can talk about Airsoft and other things like that. And we can just have some experts talk about some fun stuff. But that's all available over there. So greatly appreciated when you sign up. James, you want to shout out anything? I mean, you can follow me on pretty much all social media at conceptual james or you can follow my my uh outlet new discourses at new discourses it's on most if not all of the platforms youtube channel has all the podcasts it's also on the other podcasting stuff you want to check that out that's the main thing i'm kind of doing if you subscribe even at like low levels if you subscribe at all to any of the subscriber things that i have through new discourses then you have access to a second podcast i do for subscribers only that i call james Lindsay only subs i usually don't script those i just try to talk like man to mic or man to you and connect so uh different shorter form more personal content so uh, i'm going to try to in fact get into some advice giving and personal content that on there too so go sign up at uh, new discourses on any of the platforms that you like and get into that cool you guys can also follow me at iancrossland.net if you want to check out my social stuff james really cool to meet you man good talk. yeah heck yeah um I was on Adam's, Adam Krigler's show earlier, Adam Cast. So if you want to go to youtube.com slash IRL and check out that episode, I would highly recommend. And uh, thanks for having me, everybody. Very, Very cool. Yeah, and I am Sour Patch Lids on Twitter and Vines. And I am Real Sour Patch Lids on Gab and Instagram. If you guys want to follow me there, I'm so excited for the chickens. I cannot wait. Hopefully we get little ones that are still fluffy. Fingers crossed, because we keep saying, we're going to have some weekend content. We're going to have some weekend content. We're going to go to the range, and then some, you know, something just falls through. But I think tomorrow we're going to film Getting These Chickens, and then we'll yes. have a special Chicken City episode at TimCast.com. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll see y'all then, I suppose. Yep. Bye, guys.